Hi there. We don't have anything fancy here at the start, except to let you know that if you would like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash duckfeedtv to get all kinds of extra content and help us make more of it. Once again, that is patreon.com slash duckfeedtv. My name is Gary Butterfield. My name is Cole Ross. And you're listening to Watch Out for Fireball's Dispatch, our monthly Q&A topics uh, response roundup show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where we will be reading your questions. Uh, we'll be aing your cues. Uh, we're going to have a longer topic discussion, and then we're going to read your responses to the three games from September. Plants vs. Zombies, Lords of Magic, and God of War 2018. Yep, and then the Koi Boys are going to reveal... What's coming up in November? Ooh. So if, hope you're ready for koi. Mm. Not the fish. This is the, 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 this is the time of maximum leverage as we approach when we have to de- when we have to reveal our delicious secrets. Yeah, when when people guess or when people talk about it uh-huh. in the Slack, God, it gets me off. Oof. The, uh, <laughs> That's a good way to get people to stop doing it is to use that yeah, voice specifically. <laughs> Well, it's a, or get the wrong people to start doing it. Oh yeah. It, yeah, there's there's no yeah there's no winning with that voice. It's just a crime that I do to me and to you and to everyone. And I'm sorry. And I'm trying to work on it. Um, the, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm trying to delete it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying. I'm, I'm just I scream and I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're gonna get uh, get started mm-hmm. here live from the Portland Death Fog. Uh, Andrew asks. Uh, I'm currently teaching a university-level course on video games. Weekly topics include localization, gender and gaming, hacking slash modding slash speedrunning, and games of disability. But there's so many things I want to talk about. Uh, it was a wild task narrowing them down. So I was wondering, if you had to give a lecture uh, to a university class on any games-related topic of your choice, what would you each choose? This could be as general as the history of arcades, or as specific as how Disco Elysium plays around with the detective genre. Yeah. Um, so this is actually something that I've done uh, back when I lived in Cincinnati. Every every couple of quarters or semesters or whatever they were on, my old um, university program uh, asked me specifically to come in and like teach a session at their teach is a wrong word to talk at the media writing class, like the like the general like, hey, here's how you write for screen usually like mm-hmm. like news packages and stuff like that like hey can you just like can you come here and talk about video games because like that's a thing people want to hear about etc like i've gone and and talked about that and that pretty much just kind of was a lecture about the different ways that stories could be told in games i couldn't assign anything and i was only going to be there for like one 50 minute period or whatever so you know couldn't get super in depth but i you know i provided just a survey of like hey here's direct storytelling here's indirect storytelling like here's here's the way that like even the shape of a level can guide people through like this is what function 
I, ideally, it, the, 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 the writing should serve here. Here's where it adds. Here's how it gets out of the way. So like, yeah, that would be something that I, that, that I would just, that, that I would do it would be highlight the different ways that this can show up. Um, yeah. Uh, and I, <clears throat> I'm not totally sure. I think I would want to want to find something I know really well, mm-hmm. uh, something very specific, like something I've had bo- popping around in my head, uh, for a long time is, uh, taking something like Shadowrun and look at the different tabletop editions and how it's been adapted to video games, like the challenges, yeah. They're in of taking one game and adapting it to a different uh, game medium and yeah. how different uh, different entries in that series or franchise has done that. Yeah. So. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the line, even just like more generally, the line from tabletop to to video games or electronic games uh, is, yeah, a, yeah. is a really interesting thing. It just does a survey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It would all, of course, depend on like what the uh what the topic was and all the, the things about like games and disability and gender and gaming and stuff are way more important the only yeah. reason why i wouldn't choose one of those things is because i'm not equipped right for it i'm trying to get to the bottom of how a white heterosexual cis male relates to gaming mm-hmm. uh is you know we don't need to get the hardy boys on that case <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah i think that that's a uh, case solved yep <laughs> uh let's see here so hopefully that helped greg writes uh a couple of weeks ago i suddenly got laid off from my finance job without any warning i'm very sorry about that greg uh i received a severance package so i'm okay with finances for now but in the last two weeks i've been doing a lot of job hunting um had some leads but nothing has turned up yet however i've noticed something strange about my game playing uh this time around that i did not experience when this happened in the past before i was so busy that my game time was very limited maybe a total of 10 to 12 hours a week uh, and most of that on the weekend now even though i have more free time and i know it's important for your mental health to give yourself some non-job hunting time each day i find myself playing a lot less games Biggest reason I can ID, uh, the biggest reason I can, I, I can ID why is that I feel guilty doing that when I'm out of work and feel, uh, and feel like that my time, uh, should be more productively spent. Uh, have you guys encountered this in the past and how did you get around or deal with it? Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. I think this is super normal. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I am a really linear thinker. Uh, Mm -hmm. in terms of, uh, my life, like I like to deal with the problem at hand. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then once I deal with that problem at hand, I can kind of like relax and, you know, do other things. But if I have like a house fire, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, metaphorically in my life, it is very hard for me to take time. Um, so yeah. Uh, and the way that I dealt with that in the past is dealing with the the house fire. Like Mm -hmm. there's not really, if I can't relax until a certain, you know, itch is scratched, like, I generally will commit a lot of time to scratching that itch. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily like healthy or good, but it just, it's, it's also how I work. Uh, there's no sense in trying to relax. If you can't make yourself relax, that's just a way to get more stressed out, you know, in the yeah. past when I've, when I've run into this, I've just found myself looking for other kinds of di- diversions. If one particular one made me feel, made me feel worse. Right. So like yes. the last time I was looking for a job, you know, which last ended up lasting quite a while. I did get games played because I still, you know, had shows to do. But like, I, I found myself, I found, I found myself spending more time reading because, like, that felt more productive, right? Like, that felt edifying. Yeah. You know, just I would just alternate between novels and between like, like career or tech or like, you know, like nonfiction, kind of bordering on like self help stuff. 
Um, and that felt, that felt like I was, I was contributing a little bit more to kind of like my own edification. Just go back and listen to la was it last month where we talked about taking a break from games? Like that's just, yeah. that that's going to happen and it's fine. You know, there's no yeah. sense stressing yourself out trying to pretend to be a person who's into games right now when you're not a person who's into games right now. You'll never get to all of it. There's yeah. no sunk. There's no uh, opportunity cost you're missing because 100% completion, mm -hmm. you know, is not something that any of us die with. Right. You know, like I'm going to die without having done everything I want to do. Um, that is uh, a bleak idea, but it's also in some ways let yourself off the hook for some things because mm -hmm. once you realize like, you know, you're going to, you're not going to be able to see every TV show you want to see before you die it when somebody starts saying like hey man you haven't seen the leftovers holy shit it stops having quite as much power over you yeah uh, because it's like yeah guess what else i haven't seen infinite <laughs> yeah. you know infinity uh yeah. you know on that side of the scale is effectively you know infinite what? like i'm just gonna you know you can't make me feel bad about this i can't make me feel bad about this nothing can make me feel bad about this well cause... i can certainly make myself feel bad about it but i i am choosing not to well yeah you know, they're, they're, they're working that, on yeah. not doing it if you, you have know. decided I'm not going to feel bad about this, you 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 by definition will not make yourself feel bad about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, to, to, to quote one Gary Butterfield: "I didn't do that because I was doing other stuff instead." Yeah, exactly. Do other stuff instead. It's a okay. Yeah. So games no, will be no there worries. for when you when you come back. Yeah, and if you're feeling burnt out from the job search and mm -hmm. you do need relief and it's not games, that's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, like Cole said, like read or do do anything. Mm -hmm. You know. Uh, just if you need, just give your body what you need. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it sucks that this is happening right now. And there are probably a lot of people who are in this situation. Um, I'll, I mean, kind of definitionally because, because so many people have lost their jobs for reasons related to the plague, but like, it sucks that there's like, not like not a muse. You, you couldn't like go out to like a new museum every week or something like yeah. that. Like getting out of the house is a really good way to, is a really good way to like, you know, shift your perspective on things a little bit and there are just fewer options to do that. So, yeah. So yeah. within the constraints that you have, yes, do your best. Yeah. Uh, Andy asks, uh, I recently picked up blasphemous again with the DLC release and have been really enjoying it. Hell if I know what's going on with the story still, but they added lots of quality of life improvements, such as a bonfire teleport mm. and the gameplay feels much better. I think more arm hair was even added to the Exhumed Bishop fight. Yay. Thank God. Uh, have either of you messed around with it or have plans to mess around with it? Um, I have not gone back to the DLC of any of the Souls likes that I've enjoyed. No. And I don't know why that is. Uh, mm -hmm. Part of it is like the, my feeling of having to restart something uh, to do a DLC. Yes. Like I need a fresh play. I would love to play the uh, DLC for Immortal, Immortal Unchained, but fuck if I would be able to go in and do DLC level boss fights. Yeah, and I just don't have it in me to just do the base game again. Mm -hmm. You know, same thing with Death's Gambits, like DLC when that comes out. Like, I like mm -hmm. that game a lot. I'm interested to see what they do with it. I don't just don't have a replay of it in, in me right now. Right. So I think that when I when I do, like, mm -hmm. I'll definitely do the DLC for Blasphemous. I'm interested in it. I've seen yeah. uh, Tell and this arm hair is icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but... <laughs> I, I mean, I gotta see if that's true. <laughs> yeah. This I gotta see. Uh, do you mean this game presupposes the existence of a hairy man? <laughs> Um, <laughs> like in Catholic Spain, holy shit! <laughs> what? <laughs> like, uh, but yeah, it's all those things are like in my replay pile. It's like why I haven't done the uh, the DLC for Hollow Knight yet because yeah. 
it's it's I wanted to start from the beginning and do a fresh save with it incorporated. And that's, you know, my own version of wanting to do a series in order or whatever. Yeah. Whatever you call yeah. that disease. No, that uh, you, you pretty pretty much exactly like the thing that would get me to go back to it would be us covering for the show. That's the way that's the way yeah. to get me to play to play any game. Um yeah. But yeah, uh, like I think the blasphemous stuff looks cool. Quality of life improvements are desperately needed in that game, which I generally yeah. like on the balance really enjoy. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, no. So I am happy to hear that you're enjoying it. Um, I might like want to pick it up on the Switch, maybe. Like even though I already That's own it like, on, on PC, like it's just it's so much easier to, to justify nibbling at the edges of a game I've already played when I can do it, you know, just as part of like relaxing as opposed to sitting in front of a computer for work. Right. Yeah, in the comfort of the nest. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, Mark writes, I recently picked up Control when it released on Steam, and although I really want to like it, I find myself getting increasingly frustrated by it every time I play. That game ticks a lot of boxes for me. Weird Twin Peaks and X-Files vibes, varied combat scenarios and powers, and really excellent acting and voice work from the cast. But it falls just short in a lot of other areas that I'm finding myself uh, being al- almost overly critical of flaws that I might overlook in another game that aimed its sights lower and hit those marks more consistently. Uh, you've both talked about similar issues like this on WAF before, uh, but do you ever find yourselves being harsher in your opinion towards games that got it 80% right uh, than you do for less imaginative games that were more, quote, consistently mediocre? Uh, and then a parenthesis says, uh, I suppose this is the gameplay version of, would you prefer inconsistent 60 FPS in a game or a solid 30 FPS? Um, it, it, so I think that like the, the, the thing that's happening here, the thing that makes me think about is how like elements of a game are not equally weighted. Mm-hmm. So I can think of a game that does like 80% right and 20% wrong. And a lot of the times if I'm harping on that 20%, it's not 20%. It's like small things that permeated the game or I felt mm-hmm. throughout the whole game. And you, you'll find that a lot when we do Waffle where we'll be like, we're going to go through this really quick. But rest assured, you go, go through like 20 minutes of hallways every time we say this. Right. You know, and we, we gloss over on the show, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that it's a small part of the experience. Yeah. You know, uh, something I think I've been thinking about lately uh, is like games reckoning with like how long they are and reckoning with what percentage of their runtime is is dedicated to what mm-hmm. you know like a, a game just like understanding like hey like the reality of playing this is 60 percent of the time you do this thing mm-hmm. let's pay some attention to that fucking thing because yeah. no matter what else <laughs> is in that 40 percent of the time yeah. it's not going to be weighted the same if you have to go through this other thing every time you do it right you know um and that's why I, that's i haven't played control yet um i'm interested but that is basically what i have picked up through osmosis mm-hmm. is that like it's a game that's like super impressive but i'm gonna wait a little while for the shine to fall off it because i'm not convinced that it doesn't play bad you know right um and i mean like and, and, remedy remedy is not demonstrated over the past 10 years between alan wake and quantum break um yes you know i guess i was about to say they have not demonstrated competency like they're competent and fine they have not earned complete trust about yeah. it like there have been, there have been substantial problems with both of the previous games. And I say this as somebody who has played like a little bit of control and is impressed with it, but has, I haven't run into those, you know, bits of friction that people talk about. The bosses into. basically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that people think are, are garbage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. And I like, again, though, so, so I think that like, rather than thinking of it in terms of, oh, I'm being very harsh on this 20% because the 80% made it, mm-hmm. it's probably closer to something that is on the balance, mediocre, but with a couple super bright spots, mm-hmm. you know, cause it, you still have to experience it. Like you have to have the whole thing. Yeah. You know, it's not like you can't pick and choose the parts that are cool mm-hmm. uh, to experience. Yeah. And also like the idea that, oh, this is 80% fine, but 20%, I think it's, it, it is uh, strange um, or maybe misguided to think of it in that flat of a term. Again, talking about currencies, currency spending different differently. Like, yeah, it might be 20% of something, but like which 20% that is, is actually really, really important. Like yeah. what is represented there, you know? Yep. Um, uh, cause like a game that is, uh, all of the production values are phenomenal, but plays like garbage mm-hmm. is, you know, all those production values do not equal to 80%. Mm-hmm. It's not like the voice acting music, you know, vistas yeah. and, uh, set pieces are worth 80%. Like it's just weighted right. very differently. Mm-hmm. And it's not like even like a gamer psychographic thing. It's kind of per game. Right. You know, there's like an ineffable kind of gestaltness to it. Yeah. That like, oh, that, like this would have bothered, different. this would have bothered me in a different game, but it was fine here for something that is hard to express. Um, I normally would like this, but wow, it really turned me off in this, in this particular context. Yep. You know, or, or didn't turn you off. Like we mm-hmm. uh, recorded ahead and did our episode, our next episode on devil or, uh, uh, Dino Dino Crisis. Crisis too. Mm-hmm. And that's something where like, it has a it has a lot of those like twenty percent flaws that would have been weighted more heavily if the game wasn't like five hours long, <laughs> right? You know, so like there there's an element of uh, it just really varying, and you can you can round either way. Like things will just feel differently mm-hmm. based on that. Length tends to be a really really common factor for me, and yeah. not just you know because I do this for my job, but just because you know like like as Cole is fond of saying since we're quoting each other on this episode okay. uh, the dose makes the poison yes you know it's 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 how much you have to get that makes it bad mm-hmm. you know we we were talking in the slack about near one recently yeah. and it's like that kind of outsider uh perspective and stuff on art is much more appealing to me in a like <laughs> 5 hour itchio game right than it is in this thing that wears the clothing of a triple a game mm-hmm. you know and has side quests and power ups and crafting and all of these things that none of which are done competently at all. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. um, but gotta have them. Yeah. Uh, just like, even just talking about this split or whatever, even if you had something that was like 98% great, but there was a 2% that you just can't get over. Like we have a, we, we have a word for that. We have like, you know, fatal flaw, like everything yeah. would have been great, but this killed it. Right. Yeah. Verbal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I, I don't find that myself and I'm also, I feel you know, to answer kind of the second part, like I, I feel like I can be pretty harsh on a mediocre experience mm-hmm. uh, as well. Like, I don't think that I necessarily will be harsher on something that has like, sometimes I will pick on flaws because I, I want that. Like I'm, Oh, this would have potential. Like if it wasn't for this, this would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Like a vorpal flaw is always going to feel really serious, but a mediocre game. I'm not like, hell yeah, this has no big flaws, <laughs> but no big strengths. Right. You know, kingdom, Medium, kingdoms please. of Amalur. Give <laughs> me away. <laughs> you know, um, one re-reckoning, please. Um, you know, that's that's not necessarily uh, the perspective either. No, no. But, you know, it just yeah. uh, I, I try br- br- broadly. I try to at least be aware of the effect that expectations have on my uh, yeah. uh, opinion about a game that r- relates to expectations that are set before I go in and also the expectations that are created as you go along. You know? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan, 
says, this is a quick one. Gary's mm-hmm. mentioned a tabletop system called Iron Kingdoms. So it makes that system appeal to you. Also, is it published by Privateer Press? Because the only thing I can find about them has big steampunk energy. So I can't be sure. Uh, yes, it is the Privateer Press uh, game, Iron Kingdoms. Um, there is a steampunk element to it. There is There are like little steam mecha things. It's just a class. Like it's not like something that you have to engage with, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and the mechanics of it are darker than steampunk. There's not like, uh, you know, ah, Jules Verne, you know, it, it's not the, like the, steampunk class. The, the, there's operators. not the, the, uh, the optimization of the, or the opti- there's not the optimism of the colonizer inherent to it. <laughs> yes. There's, there's, there's none of that, yeah. uh, you know, which I like. And then the thing that's appealing about it to me is that it's, uh, incredibly mechanically rock solid in a tactical way. Mm-hmm. Um, you play combats in that game similar to and with the same robustness that you would play a combat in divinity original sin 2 or final fantasy tactics or something where you are managing uh moves and powers and synergies uh and your your feats uh in that game which have a you know that always has a different different meaning depending on the tabletop game yeah but in a really interesting like kind of ebb and flow way where you are constantly uh you know you have to undertake risk to Mm -hmm. get feats back which you need feats to undertake risk yeah you know, while you're also doing this really good grid-based tactics um, with just, like, amazing amounts of synergy. Like, the the moves, you know, there are different classes that move off of each other really well yeah, um, and stuff. So there's it appeals to that, like, party composition part mm-hmm. of me, even though every time I played it, I never composed a party. I just composed the dude mm-hmm. uh, who fit into a party. But it was very fun finding those, those things. And that's something that I find is rare in tabletop, especially with kind of the trajectory tabletops on now of a more story forward yeah. kind of thing, you know, and D and D has never been great at doing that. Even like fourth edition, right. Uh, you know, it has that, but it be, you know, they've never it, been, super it was good real it, MMO-y. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they were super good at it. So iron kingdoms is my favorite version of that. I think there are probably games that have done it better. Mm-hmm. Um, we are playing, uh, starting a new game called fragged kingdom, which is a horrible name, mm-hmm. but that also has a really cool, big tabletop energy to the like test games we've done. Hmm. So I'm really excited to try that. Cool. And when I say tabletop energy, I mean like tactical yeah, video yeah. game energy. Grid, grid, uh, grid paper. Yeah. 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 Like tactics-based combat while also allowing for role-playing because mm-hmm. I like both those modes. Yes. I don't want to just do one or the other. Cool. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have anything to add. I, I know nothing about this system, but you make it sound fun. It's fun. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Toke or Toka? Um, apologies yeah. if, if both of those are wrong. Yeah. says, uh, hello, fellas. I was enjoying listening to the podcast about God of War, which is a game I liked but was frustrated by. My biggest frustration was something that you talked about on the podcast, which is the way the game always puts obstacles in your way to keep you from completing your initially simple quest. The structure of the game is always a cycle of you have to do X. It seems straightforward, but then something unexpected happens and now you need Y to do X. Then something else happens and now you need Z, etc., etc. I have read uh, that some people call this the princess is in another castle trope. Uh, there was something about this structure that really frustrated me. It made everything I did seem like a task instead of some epic quest, like the ring, the two bells of awakening and dark and dark souls. Uh, many games do put obstacles in your way. Uh, for example, the forlorn souls of dark souls one. Uh, but for some reason, God of War's structure was so much more frustrating than the other ones. And I cannot put my finger on exactly why. Is the problem that the game doesn't tell you in advance what the obstacles are? 
I was wondering what you guys had. Uh, uh, I was wondering if you guys had any thoughts on this, uh, if you had the same frustration and if so, why and what other games, uh, do this better to me in God of war? It's a, it's related to like a pacing yeah. thing almost like part of it. We're, you know, we're talking about in the slack and, and such, uh, afterwards. And someone brought up like part of it is that you get to the mountain so quickly. Yeah. You know, and, and we talked about that in the episode, like it was trying to maintain this geography and you and uh, someone, the person in the Slack brought up the good point. Like the reason why you get to the mountain so quickly and then do these shuttle runs is because they want you to be able to backtrack for side quest. Yeah. So if the mountain was really far away, by the time you got there, it would be obnoxious mm-hmm. to travel back. But then it's also like, well, yeah, functioning fast travel. System <laughs> yeah, that would solve that you know, so quickly. Like getting back to the lake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like just, uh, you know, and you could you could introduce it once you got to the mountain. Do mm-hmm a stretch of the game, which is getting to the mountain for quite a while and have it feel really far away, put some of those interstitial tasks on the way, mm-hmm. you know, this, this is stopping us from getting to the mountain. Not we've gotten to the mountain and to unlock the door. We have to do this. Now we have to do this. Now we have to do this. Yeah. You know? Uh, so part of it, I guess is where it's introduced, even though I don't necessarily think it's like having them up front, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's, it's like, to me, it is related to pacing. Yeah. Pacing is a bit, is a big part of this. Um, a game that I think does this, you know, if not well, then at least better is like dead space, which is pretty much exactly this. Like, okay, my main goal is to get off of the ship because it mm-hmm. is full of all of these monsters that are killing everybody. Or my main goal is to find what's it's his girlfriend, ex-girlfriend in uh, in, De- yeah. in dead space or whatever. But because everything is so bad, you need to go to every part of the ship just to keep it habitable. So you can continue looking for her. So it ends up, you know, you are, you know, you are an engineer. This is a very tenuous situation, not just because of the monsters that are around, but because of, you know, the actual environment, a a decrepit, derelict space station that is falling apart. Um, And, you know, your mission is to go and basically hit every place it does to, you know, to to, to fix things, to keep it together. That feels like additive and holistic, um, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's all like to a purpose. In God of War, strictly because everything feels like such a uh, distraction, I, I I almost would rather like it was less broken down into individual to do steps because you'll notice like everything is quest logged and it says, okay, you, okay, you, you go through one door and it marks something off and then it says, yes, you have reached the chamber of so-and-so. And then on the other side of that chamber, you hit a new door and it's locked and you need a gook off from one of the other realms. And it's like, find a way to the other realm. Like, I think that there's something to be said about the way that that information is presented to you that feels much more interruptive. Additionally, yeah. the, the characters in the game uh, express frustration. And I do not want the characters to express frustration that I feel. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's, there's times I feel like that could work and there are times where it doesn't, it right, never excuses right. anything though. Yes. People always treat that like, Oh, like the characters are criticizing the plot. That must mean <laughs> no. it's okay. And I'm like, no, that doesn't, that doesn't make it yeah. okay. <laughs> it makes it worse. Um, you, you know, there's a problem and you could fix it. <laughs> another uh, game you know, we're doing Soma and like that game also does that, mm-hmm. you know, have to get, have to get to X, but you run into a series of problems. Yeah. I think part of the thing with God of war though, uh, in addition to your point that it's like how it's presented is that I wish that God of war had been, you know, you get to the mountain, mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't work. What if it was like, Hey, we need four things to get to the mountain, mm-hmm. go off in these different corners of the lake or different realms to do it. Yeah. And gave you that uh, four lords structure of Dark Souls 1. Mm-hmm. Like, linearity is also something that uh, 
can be an enemy to this or mm-hmm. rather like nonlinearity can help relieve this feeling. Yeah. I think even if, you know, practically there's no real difference, like you're doing the four Lord souls, no matter what mm-hmm. the idea of it being like, Oh, like I got, just got to the end, you know, let's kick that, that goalpost. Let's move mm-hmm. it down a little bit. That yeah. feels psychologically worse than having a laundry list. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels a little bit like the thing I was complaining about when we covered Crimson Shroud, where it felt really unsatisfying that you had these you had these scenarios where you had just many, many more enemies than would be presented. And like you would kill one of them and knock it off and then it would come in and be replaced by something else. And just the yeah. fact that it felt like you were never getting anywhere because that was always happening. Like the, the encounter yeah. was always designed for you to kill that many of that enemy or, you know fight them while you're dealing with something else but the fact that it, it only ever came in and replaced it only it, uh, something new only ever came in when you like felt a moment of like triumph of dealing with the threat that was there before like it, it, yeah it, the presentation it, was yeah. psychologically demotivating mm-hmm. yeah. yeah um i like yeah. Uh, something that i love dark souls 2 where they just say yeah you're gonna get to the doors of this kingdom and you're not even gonna know you're, you're not even gonna know why <laughs> yeah like i forgot why i was doing this but i know that i am driving forward yeah yeah and that that can drive you forward in games anyway and can be like a powerful motivator i think that yeah. like god of war always wanted to be a little bit more narrative yeah constri- you know and kind of like almost more novelistic because of the dialogue mm-hmm. to it like it was supposed to be kind of serious in that respect so that artificiality of constantly having the goalpost move felt a little bit weirder than it would in like a Zelda game or something too, where it's more explicitly gamey. Yeah. There are lots of things that like made that feel particularly kind of bad, but I'm glad that we're not the only people who, you know, and again, I, I like that game quite yeah. a bit. Like it's not a death knell. It's just a thing that like kind of bugged me about the pacing, but I'm glad I'm not alone in that. Yep. Um, ben says also about God of War. Uh, just wanted to ask how many entries in a game series does it take for you to get bored of the gameplay relating to God of war 2018? I'd certainly play a sequel that played similarly, but I don't think I'd play a third without a major shakeup. I skipped God of war three for the same reason. I didn't have the stomach for another mindless button tapper, especially in the company of the younger Kratos. I hate that guy. <laughs> yeah. Kratos is a big improvement though. Um, yeah, it's a, it, that's a great question because, mm-hmm. uh, they're going to do something. Right. Mm -hmm. Like Kratos is canonically dying. Atreus is, we will at some point, I think, be able to play as Atreus. Mm -hmm. Even if he turns out to be villainous at some point. Um, If we play as him, he's a trickster god. Mm -hmm. He's not a god of war. Right. Uh, He's not going to be, he's not going to play the same. So they'd have to switch it up. But it's very hard for me to feel like confidence that they're going to be interested in doing that or Mm -hmm. be able to do that very interestingly. Yeah. So just like three 20 hour games that are just like God of War 2018 that complete the story. Mm-hmm. Like I would, I would play them because I want to know the story, but I would definitely like Ben grow to resent the gameplay being the same probably by the third one. Yeah. Especially like we know that because the next one is going to be coming to the PS five, um, mm-hmm. assuming that the development cycle isn't like 10 years or whatever. Um, a lot of the effort is probably going to be put on the presentational angles. Like it is going to yes. be Sony is going to be very motivated to make it a system seller. Um, <laughs> and yes. that is going to imply a lot of effort that may not necessarily be a meaningful gameplay shakeup. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Which is, which is a bummer. Yeah. Um, in general, I just find, you know, for other systems like I, or, uh, gameplay modes, I just end up needing breaks. Mm-hmm. You know, like I can, I realize basically like as a defender of Resident Evil 5 and 6, like I have a lot of patience 
for that gameplay mode of Resident Evil 4. Yep. But if I were just playing them like all back to back to back, that gets difficult, mm-hmm. you know, with a long break. Like the fact that games exist for a long time, you know, so even with God of War 2018, what might end up happening is I'll play the second one when it comes out. Mm-hmm. But then if the third one was like a relatively fast follow, I might wait. Yeah. You know, and just be like, I'm when I'm in the mood to to do this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think there's just like a lot more depth to the story and play of the new ones than the the old ones. Yes. So there's like more to chew on. Like it lasts longer. Mm-hmm. It's a more complicated carbohydrate. Yeah. No, but I agree. Uh, you know, the, the 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 new games need to justify themselves with more than just you know unfolding more of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Yeah. How weird! It, <laughs> I was about to say, how weird would it be? I know they're not going to do this because Kratos, the Kratos is the new guy. But like, just if the next yeah. game you play is Thor against Atreus and Kratos trying to stop Ragnarok, that'd be great. Yeah, I'd just like, like a drunken idiot. Yeah, <laughs> take you back to that just like horrible bastard energy from them from the first trilogy. That'd be very funny. Yeah, uh, that'd be a really funny move. Yeah. Um, moving He's on, to... just ripping open Atreus's jaw, just like stomping <laughs> on his pubeless crotch you know like, wow okay like <laughs> you know oh god uh moving on to life stuff this is just more of a comment here uh casey says i heard gary mention near the adoption of uh, uh sorry i heard gary mention the near adoption of willow the pug Pet preferences are highly personal, and I don't know how set you are in any specific breed, uh, but as a pug dad of several years, holy cow, are they fun little monsters. Thousands of years of breeding directed at nothing more than being lovable goofballs. Good luck with uh, your search wherever it takes you. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're doing, um, we're planning to get uh, a dog or another pet, and the idea is basically like, we don't want a puppy, so we're like, what can we do that's the opposite of that. So we're looking for pets that are like older, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to, you know, the idea of giving some good quiet twilights yeah. to some doggos. So I don't have a, a breed preference other than like not super loud yeah, uh, and yeah. allowed by my apartment, mm-hmm. you know, which is a bummer because it, like it's a, there's a weight limit and that uh, omits most pit bulls. And I love a pit bull. Oh, pities are like, so sweet. I love sweet. a pity and yeah. they're so sweet and they get taken to the shelter constantly. Yeah. You know, people, pities have a rough life. So like, uh, but yeah, I, I love a puggo. Uh, I mm-hmm. love that we designed them to be uh, bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> to, it's, to be, it's very to, sad. To be miserable <laughs> without our direct intervention most yeah. days. I, yeah. I think that we have like a, a human responsibility to, to like every human should be assigned a pug basically for the crimes we've done to them. Yeah. As, I, as a, as a designer, as, at, as at least, at least, at least we still, until we can get them, you know, maybe like 5% of the way back, back toward being wolves. Until we, yeah, until we get them to, like until we can get like willow the pug to get impregnated by a wolf <laughs> you know yeah. <laughs> like, um yeah it's like a frankenstein's monster kind of thing like we we created it it would be horrible to reject it as well yeah so yeah we have to we have to accept pugos into our arm luckily they're actually like a hot commodity like when i was talking about i was talking to my friend uh about him and she has a pug Mm-hmm. Um, and she's like, she's like, oh, if you're looking to get a pug, like I'm still plugged into all of these like pug intelligence sources and pug networks because they're hard to get a hold of. <laughs> right. And I was like, well, yeah, no wonder Willow got adopted really quick. Yeah. You know, like I, I guess they're they're hot demand. So humanity's doing their work on one front only, <laughs> uh, and it's the pug front. <laughs> yeah. So thank goodness for that. Oh, geez. Uh, Dan asks, uh, and there, there's some stuff to this, so don't answer right away. Uh, would you rather have a hand made out of ham? 
or an armpit that dispenses the beer of your choice. These are rules and assumptions. The hand would function properly, but you would be able to eat, carve it as you like, although it didn't regenerate immediately. I feel like immediately is doing a lot of work there. Right. Uh, <laughs> the beer is a single beer of your choice. You can't change once you decided, but of course it has to come out of your armpit at all times, like us all. Uh, <laughs> it, it isn't the freshest environment. Also, beer is for personal use only and must not be used to sell uh, to any individual or corporation. <laughs> So I can't, well, I mean, like, what would I do? Just like Cole's choice. <laughs> like all that would do is like, smiling. like, like set me up to be milked. Like one of the blood boys from, mm -hmm. from, from Mad Max. Like, oh yeah. This would, either of these would ensure that we're taken care of in the post-apocalypse <laughs> of a sort. Ham, in a fashion. Liter literally ham handed or. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. People will keep us around for harvest. Yes. Yeah. Because uh, I don't, I, I, I Gary, uh, we're 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 nearing the end here. Uh, we're, we're you know things are about to make a turn for the for the worse. I am very doubtful about how how necessary content is going to be in the in in the aftertimes. I don't yeah. know. I don't know that our abilities to create content are going to protect us for very long. Like yeah. without settling into the role of a shaman, I don't think I can get like a, a you know an, an outpost to like feed me and not like harvest me for parts. You so. can become a shaman. What's that? Where do you get shaman from? You're gonna become a shaman. Yeah, I'm straight to shaman. Well, like, a, what, what qualifies you to be a shaman? But I mean, okay, so people wouldn't know me. You, you, you come in, you you act lying as a, you, would you, qualify you. Yeah, lying would qualify me. You come in, you act as a storyteller, and you tend to the non-material needs of the tribe. Okay. Ah, uh, let me tell the tribe about the challenge story of Dragon <laughs> Quest Two, yeah. the second Dragon Quest throughout history. <laughs> yeah. So I just, I mean, as I said, unless we do that, and that's very unlikely. So we're gonna need, okay. we're gonna need to make some choices here. Um, of course, you always want more clarification. Like you said, uh, it doesn't regenerate immediately. Immediately makes uh, it's a you know, that's a that's a big one. That's a that, that's mm -hmm. a strong word there. Does it heal as fast as like a regular hand would? That's too slow to be useful. Yes. Um, I would need like a new hand per day. <laughs> I just wake up with a new hand. Um, yeah, a new ham hand in my sleep. Uh, I would right. also need it to not be painful. The, yeah, there uh, we go. But like it, so needs, it needs to not be painful, but also you need to be able to feel so you can use the hand dexterously, right? Yeah. I mean, one of the things is you cannot... Uh, since the beer is only for personal use, uh huh, it would not be very useful in a post-apocalypse. Right. Because part of the thing is we can't give it to warlords or whatever. It's just so we can be drunk when we're harvested for normal stuff, not even for beer, you know? Mm -hmm. We could be harvested for our hands. But also, I don't really drink anymore. Right. Uh, and you could just not pour beer out of your armpit. But your hands would always be ham. So, like, the clarification you know, question. I would never that... finger another WAP again. <laughs> you know? Well, you, <laughs> you, you would have the hands. other hand. Okay, uh, so would you rather have? Oh, a I guess hand. I just say a hand. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I guess it would depend on whether it's my dominant hand or not. Yeah. Do I get to choose? I, I don't know. Yeah. Is it is it is it a coin flip? Yeah. yeah. That'd be that'd be a momentous coin flip. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, the, the, the clarification that I want on the on, on the beer pits is: is there a nozzle 
like like oh, in there. Uncomfortable. Oh, or I, I mean, no. What would be more uncomfortable is if I just like sweat beer. Like if it, if, if there were just glands yeah. that like had like a little bit of beer running, just basically like a, like a sap out of my trunk here. That's what I assume. Is it uh, like it just uh, kind of permeates the top like a mucous membrane? Mm. You know, it beads up, and then you use like a squeegee yeah. to move around the hairs and stuff. Um, yeah and like when does it come out is it only when it's hot or is it uh you know is, is it consciously you know i'm gonna say uh flip the coin on the hand ham yeah it says dispense yeah that to me that to me like means feels like i i make it happen okay you know that's gonna depend on it but since we have no further questions um i might do the beer pits mm-hmm. i like my hands and i think that the warlord scenario is unlikely it's like at least 50-50. That's the coin flip I'll do. Okay. Is whether we end up in the post-apocalypse and get harvested. <laughs> I Call me an optimist. I think there's a 51% chance that we don't all die yeah. to warlords. The, the, the thing that um, I like about that, about the ham hand, is that, like, at the very least, I could use it to feed, like, a kitten or, a, you know, or a dog. Like, you can share the ham hands. It's not just for you. Yeah. So. The, the armpit thing I would just ignore. I'm not thinking of this as a power. Gotcha. I think I'm thinking gotcha. of, like, the lack of impact. Right, right. So. Whereas I, <laughs> yeah, I would just take the armpit thing and give money to Black Lives Matter. Cool. <laughs> well, just call me, foolish. call me a monster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really, I uh, really sure, showed. Sure, feed your kitten, but I'd feed people. Mask off. Uh, the, okay. Yeah. yeah mask right. off. That's the tweet. <laughs> Gary needy whiny all day. <laughs> Uh, what does Paul say? (laughs) Paul says, um, with the pandemic, I have gotten back into writing songs, playing guitar and singing for the first time in almost a decade. I gave it up. I read that on accent as writing soups. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, you can kind of write a soup. Like, in a way, like I'm not. Gary? Well, you just like, you write a recipe or whatever. Like, I feel like the idea of composing a soup isn't Mm -hmm. that far from like writing a soup. I don't know. I kind of liked it. I, anyway. I, the, the, the ravings of a madman. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, I gave up on these things, writing songs, playing guitar, singing. Uh, I gave up, gave up on these for a long time because of my job. Recording new music has been immensely satisfying. I hope to finish an album eventually and play a few local shows when the pandemic is over. Uh, so I just want to, uh, I just wanted to be a steady part of my life, not to make it. Uh, and make it some quotes there, but I'm also 37 now. And I sometimes get this nagging feeling that it is too late or I'm too old. Um, I found articles debunking this fear of ageism, uh, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on getting over it. Since you guys are always good at talk, talking, being accepting and happy with yourself as you are. Is that, <laughs> is that the vibe that we the, give off? Yeah. The non-critical boys. <laughs> uh, yeah. Would it, um, there's, uh, there's no such thing as too late. Right. Uh, there's no such thing as too old. Um, I recommend everybody, uh, regardless of how you feel about the music, even though you should like the music, watch the uh, Guided by Voices documentary, Watch Me Jumpstart, mm. which is about uh, basically just about Guided by Voices. But Rob Pollard, for all of his faults and sad drunkenness, uh, became, you know, one of the best songwriters of all time after having an entire life with a divorce, kids and a career mm-hmm. and just decided, like, I want to become, you know, I want to start making rock and roll and just did it. Yeah. Uh, it is super possible. Um, I have a friend, one of my best friends, uh, his father, who I'm very close with, um, was a professional photographer who did like senior pictures and shit mm-hmm. and uh, owned a company 
with a guy. And then at one point was like, you know what? I, I want to do fine art photography mm-hmm. and just kind of worked at it. And now he's like kind of a big ass deal in fine art photography, like mm-hmm. goes to gallery shows, gets flown out to places and yeah. shit. Like, and he's 60 yeah. now. And he started doing that at like maybe 50. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no, there's no too late. Yeah. So especially just for the hobby, like aspect, like do it for the joy of doing it. That's how you, why you should do any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Then you've already won. And if you play some shows and people like your stuff, Yahtzee, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, I, I hear this and I think about uh, this maybe like a kind of extreme example or whatever, but like the main guy in the area where I live who like does karaoke, not like goes and performs, mm-hmm. but like is the, is the karaoke, um, like, you know, do, do the, yeah, the KJ kind of guy. His name's Sam, um, older guy, um, has been doing it like since karaoke was like done and like cassette tapes or whatever. But like when he goes and sets up, he has a, uh, he has like his, his, his keyboard. Uh, he does this because he is also like an organist in just like this local or regional blues band. And it's him and a bunch of these older guys who go around playing like real, you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan blues kind of stuff. But like people follow them around and he is super happy doing it and he started it kind of late. So like, mm-hmm. yeah, just, Oh yeah. I decided that I'm going to make music my life. I'm going to do it in this, in this particular way. He, he gets booked. His band gets booked. He has fun. And you know, you're not even asking for that. <laughs> so like, yeah, yeah, totally. you know, like you, you don't have to have like the, um, you know, specific, kind of career that would be that would be like the you know behind the music or whatever that that would be miserable yeah. and suck just make the music you like yeah yeah uh that, you know that'll be great and it's never been easier to be a garage musician on your own like mm-hmm. you can do full compositions and stuff and release recordings on your own yeah. reach you know an audience like it's a great time for that yes you know uh playing live is a totally different energy but you can also like you said you can play out at like some coffee shops and some bars and uh, give it a shot. Like mm-hmm. you'll re- you won't regret not doing it. Yeah. Or I mean, you you won't regret doing it. Rather. Yeah. Uh, you might regret not doing it. Yes. You know. And even you know, there's uh, like the idea that like, oh, I might go out there and I might be really embarrassed. Like, you know, this is a, a thing that uh, I harp upon a lot. But like, boys, a lot of stuff doesn't matter. Like, yes, <laughs> the know? the feeling of that matters. But uh-huh. like, in the end of the day, like, oh, I had a weird night. Like, you got to be able yeah. to let that stuff go. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, I was a little embarrassed. Like, I understand it's harder for certain people to do that yeah, than others, yeah. but, but striving for that is really good, mm-hmm. you know, of being able to, like, take things as right-sized and realize that in the grand scheme of things. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I played a song somebody didn't like is pretty low, you know? Yeah. So, like, if you if you take the, you know, a performance, like, the worst-case scenario is that things go full carry, you know (laughs) like okay uh people laugh at me and they pour pig's blood on me and it's a just it's a complete slaughter all right that's probably not going to happen because that's fictional nothing can be as bad as carrie so you at least you have that and even if carrie happened Uh it would be uh i mean you'd be a fucking legend so yeah a a couple years before that is just a fucking baller story (laughs) like we'd interview you yeah like they would be, it's like, that would be, you know, uh, at some point, even before I started doing podcasts, I started recontextualizing shit like that happening to me as just like, it's fun because I have stories, mm-hmm. you know? And that's, like a, I think a really good way to look at it. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, like I'm not being hurt by this anymore instead of just like ruminating in the trauma of it. Mm-hmm. Like I can tell people about it and get some, some goofs out of it. Like yeah, I can be yeah. funny and they can, they can laugh and they can, 
you know, feel good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, that's the making, making some lemonade. Yeah. You know? No, it's a, uh, you know, like you, you have control over your reaction to things. It's the, it's the parable mm-hmm. of the second arrow, right? Uh, when mm-hmm. somebody shoots you with a bow and arrow, you know, you, you get with two, with two arrows, there's the actual arrow hitting you and then there's a reaction to it, right? You can mm-hmm. decide like, is embarrassment a big deal? Uh, yeah. And I don't know. You're talking about, you know, it sounds like you've been at this for a while. Like you have competence and skills probably. So like embarrassment is probably just like a very, like the, the range of embarrassment that is open to you is really limited, you know? Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> right. You know, objectively, like right. you can feel that kind of thing differently, but you're probably mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. You know? So mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's a, it, and I'm not trying to make uh make light of anybody who does have like, crippling issues with anxiety or embarrassment oh, yeah, it's yeah. just if you, you know as, with the assumption that's not that does not apply to you uh-huh. then i think it is worth the risk mm-hmm. uh if it does apply to you i assume that you have your own set of kind of coping mechanisms and are not asking a podcast about video games like what to do about that yeah, you know so yeah. just just to head off anybody who's like uh way to erase people who have crippling anxiety I'm like oh well, not a you know i'm yeah. talking to the specific person who i'm right, assuming right. doesn't have that because mm-hmm. they asked about being too old they didn't ask about how to get over crippling anxiety right so, yeah um yeah uh moving on to media questions mm-hmm. john asks uh the trailer for dune was released and people seem to be going crazy for it what is a book series graphic novel series or any series that you would love some films of the only catch is it cannot already have a film adaptation of it yeah so that rolls out dark tower for me because they've already done it and Mm -hmm. fucked it up um moving to my other uh kind of thing this is kind of a cheat because i've read like the script for it um but uh the notional um uh house of leaves television series that Daniel Lewski is shopping around. Like he has put out a script for the pilot and then like three episodes that sa- mm-hmm. that sounds really good to me. Uh, like it's a good script and I think it would be really cool. So I'm going to say that and just be a complete parody of myself. Uh, I would like now that uh, apparently I haven't watched it, but now that apparently they've proven they can do doom patrol. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want more trippy Grant Morrison. Stuff. Oh shit. I would love yeah. to see the invisibles. Yeah, the Invisibles uh, would, be, would be really good. Or no, I'm thinking of the Filth. Um, I believe the, you know, the be Invisibles cool. would be good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, they're, they're similar series. Like, they mm-hmm. would both have to be series, though, not films. Yeah. yeah. You know, and the Dune, the Dune is, uh, that's a film, that's a TV show, too. Yeah. Uh, the new Dune. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it a TV show, the, the Dune? Uh, pretty sure. Oh. Pretty sure it's a series. Cool. Uh, I could be wrong about that, yeah. but I think it is a series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't seen the trailer. I've seen stills that people posted on uh, posted on Twitter. Uh, Dune's fine. Mm. Yeah, yeah I, I'm having a hard time getting excited about this the way that other people are, and I don't. Yeah. I don't feel bad about that. I'm just. Mm-hmm. It's just the case. I saw it expressed really well. Uh, I think it like like Riff retweeted this or something. It's like okay for people who like the David Lynch Dune. There's nothing to lose here. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> right that, that's true of any remake yes you know yeah. like that's you know uh, it looks like it is a film not a tv okay. series yeah. um which yeah but i i don't uh nothing nothing will be lost i'm okay with the david lynch dune mm-hmm. like i don't really get that either like i don't know it's okay mm-hmm. it's cool it's not i, I don't understand the hype yeah uh, but i think it would be silly to be mad at this version yeah as yeah. well um let's see here uh moving on to show questions uh uh, steward asks uh you both made a lot of content over the uh over quite a few years now uh and creatives are known for not liking their older pieces Uh, i've been listening back through waff and other shows and i think your stuff holds up but how do you feel about it uh what do you think of when you reflect on your past work 
Um, yeah, I, I know that there are probably uh, WAF things that like I would not like as much, but I don't. We've done too many for me to hold it in my brain. Yeah, I you try know? not to dwell on it or think about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't tend to think about that. The thing I do think about is I know that like my podcast before Duckfeed, like there were definitely some like jokes that I probably wouldn't make now. Yeah, you know, I don't think that it was it was horrendous or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But there were like some things that uh, just being careless with language. Yeah, in yeah. ways that I wouldn't wouldn't do now, even if the joke was never at the expense or intended to be at the expense. Yeah. of you know anybody particularly like i don't think that i would be as careless with certain subject matter yeah anymore um i don't feel tons of guilt about that like i changed mm -hmm. you know it's a good thing like i'm like oh i wouldn't do that now yeah i can't yeah. erase the past it's written in stone mm -hmm. you know but i i wouldn't do it now and right. and to me that's the important part mm -hmm. um that's the main feeling i have of, of regret uh not really so much stuff for waf mm -hmm. my regrets for waf are i wish that we had realized that time limits were a fiction earlier yep. on and i wish that i had had the money to invest in a better microphone earlier on yeah yeah my i just you know audio quality stuff going back and listening to it you know even up to you know pretty recently um you know it's just uh just a thing that is uh, a bugbear for me but like as far as the content goes i'm pretty much in line with you just you know being careful with language but we're coming up on 10 years of doing this and when we started this i was 23 you know like <laughs> people can still be shitheads at 23 so yeah yeah it's like, like the example i always think about is like when people talk about idle thumbs yeah and how yeah. early on you know they, they use a lot of slurs and then they apologize for it and some people yeah you know it's always going to be up to the individual whether that's good enough mm -hmm. you know for people but i am on the record and then also firmly on the side of like oh no people can change like yeah. we have to let people get better there's no point mm -hmm. you know you you can't expect people to be born knowing everything and like there's a degree of enculturation mm -hmm. that happens you know uh one of the things like this is related to a lightning round question but we're going to get ready to start tackling the venture brothers mm -hmm. venture brothers early on does uh you know that's probably the same level that i was fucking around with this stuff and being a yes. little careless right yeah like there's ned who is uh mentally you know disabled um you end up them them calling things uh gay from mm -hmm. time to time um or uh retarded yep. uh, from time to time and the uh that sucks mm -hmm. you know uh but they got better and i think that it's worth considering like how much it was in the water at the time yeah um you know in their their early 2000s were a long fucking time ago <laughs> right. early mid 2000s like yeah. and that was what like like you put on a flash cartoon or whatever mm -hmm. uh, at the time like <laughs> Ooh, that's what that's what we got that's what uh -huh. that's what humor was and like nobody questioned it so in retrospect you can be like oh i wouldn't have done that and, right. but i always kind of look a little side-eyed at that like it reminds yeah. me um you know, i can't remember where i first picked this up but when we elected nazi pope you know that pope that was in oh the benedict Reef? yeah 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 and so and somebody was like you know criticizing that and somebody else I, it might have been on twitter but it was like yeah if i had been seven and been asked to go into the hitler youth i would have been like no way man this is wrong right i'm like no you wouldn't have you were fucking seven yeah like and you were not you're growing up in nazi germany uh -huh. you know like i don't know i, I don't think that like you know there, there's a line there somewhere mm -hmm. like i don't think it's good like you know that, that doesn't mean i'm like oh the founding fathers should of course have had slaved and based the nation on slavery it was just in the water yeah. but the idea of being seven you know or being like super young Right, uh, and being right. growing up in a culture gives me a lot of sympathy mm -hmm. and i feel like we were all kind of in that 
Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. uh, for until not that long ago. Yeah. I mean, all I can think of, all, all that I can think is for my personal kind of journey through that. And again, we're talking about, oh, things that I used to say that I, that, 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 that I don't say anymore that might have cropped up in, old, in older shows. It took somebody like explaining to me like, oh, that sucks and that hurts and me believing them and saying, all right, yeah, like it, it it's it's cheaper for me to stop than it is for me to, you know, continue hurting you and other people you know who would take who would take exception to that like it takes somebody telling you and you course correcting for you to understand that something fucking sucks right yeah yeah and and there is there is of course like a, a line there and somebody can tell you like it's very different if somebody tells you like hey this hurts me Mm-hmm. When you do this versus seeing a tweet talking to nobody in particular <laughs> saying like, you know, hey, you know, we can't have uh, master bedrooms, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, that that's still a thing where it's like, is it worth having a conversation or thinking about that language? Like, probably. Mm-hmm. But it's not the same thing as like, hey, every time you use the word bitch, like, I think it feels really misogynistic and, you know, it sucks. Mm-hmm. You, you know, go to that word too easily. Yeah. You know, they're different. They're different conversations, I think. Like, I think there's a lot of nuance in this thing. And Mm -hmm. it's very frustrating to, like, judge everything past fail. uh, Yeah. Yeah. No, that that leads to a lot of frustration uh, in social media spaces. Yeah. It's a very frustrating thing about being online. Yeah. So not the question you asked, but it was Mm -hmm. the answer you got. Yeah. Uh, Uh, Is this me? I think it's you. Yeah, is me our last show question that we have lightning round and then topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Guy asks, "Hello, folks. I got my wife listening to your podcast, and she's super into them, even to the point where she's gotten into blood, the Bloodborne thanks to Bonfireside Chat. A thing that five years ago, or five years of me saying, but you'll enjoy it, mm-hmm. didn't do. Uh, on that note, is it a dick move if I share Patreon exclusive episodes with her? There's nothing in our vows about it, <laughs> <laughs> but I also don't want to screw with you guys, screw you guys out of income. Where do you stand on that? Uh, I don't care." Yeah, I, I answered you on the episode, or I answered you in the comment thread, just to to put your mind at ease because you know it was going to be a, a week or so. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't care. Uh, give it to your, give it to your wives. You know, uh, put them on a thumb drive and give it to your next of kin. Do not distribute it widely and publicly. But like, if you it's like have a family a, subscription, yeah, yeah, like like you know, you you guys can share a bank account, so you probably can share the you know the Patreon. That's okay. <laughs> like, I would like you to update your vows about it, though. Yeah. So if you guys could just like do a do, do a do do a recommitment ceremony, it can be like yeah. a justice or, of the peace thing. Um, yeah. But I know a notary. <laughs> um, the thing I, I think about with this is that uh, there's different ways of thinking about the Patreon. Yeah. Where it is like you know kind, you're paying for a, a service. Yeah. It is kind of a store. The mm-hmm. other way though is it is also a tip jar. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. And I like to think, I know if this is true, but I like to think that the majority of the people who support us are not doing it for the rewards. Like we try to be really generous with that. And that's mm-hmm. like one of our kind of values of the company. Yeah. Uh, gross sentence. But, it, you know, it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like to think that most people are just doing it because it's like, hey, this is the right thing to do. These guys do a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can I can afford a buck 25 per week, mm-hmm. you know, uh, for that. Um, that's what I like to hope. And if, you know, if somebody doesn't think of it that way, that's fine. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate thinking of it uh, in a considerate way and then asking, like, hey, is this mm-hmm. okay? But the answer is, like, within reason, yeah. Uh, yeah. Do, you know, basically don't post it online. 
Mm-hmm. That yeah, would th- be the line. You know, I think about, okay, so I don't have a problem with, with, with you doing this. And I think, all right, so my other concern would be, like, the notional person who pays for this, is it fair to them if you, if, if you do this? I would say, yeah, if somebody, like, wrote in and said, well, screw that. Like, why am I pay for, paying for this if this guy's wife is getting it for free? That person's not being reasonable. <laughs> so no, 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 no. I don't, I don't uh, feel the need to cater to that person. <laughs> We the I paid for college. Why shouldn't you have to? <laughs> on that scale, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's yeah. very ridiculous on the scale of like a couple extra podcasts per month. <laughs> you know, like uh, it doesn't take away from you. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody else riding the bus for free does not take away from you paying for the bus. Yeah, like you can you can contort yourself into thinking mm-hmm. it does, but it is a morally indefensive, yeah, indefensible like equation. Mm-hmm. You know, and also just such small ball. Yes, yeah. like go, you know, go 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 uh, go grab a hobby mm-hmm. if that, that's what you're thinking. Um, moving on to lightning round. Uh, yeah. what does Cinderelf say? Uh, Cinderelf says the venture brothers was just canceled <laughs> with orb, <laughs> with orb about to be released. How do you feel about that? Uh, bad timing. Yeah. Uh, but it's fine, mm-hmm. uh, for our purposes for two reasons. One, uh, we have plenty of show to cover. Yep. Uh, two, um, I think that if the creators want to do a finale for it, um, mm-hmm. Netflix or somewhere else will pick it up. Yeah. And they'll do like a movie or something like that to tie everything up. Uh, three, it actually ties up pretty okay. Yeah. Like there, there's some, it sets up a new status quo that's really interesting that mm-hmm. I would love to see explored. But I don't feel like, like a lot of the big questions in the series were things that either got hinted at in a satisfying way mm-hmm. or are effectively answered to my mind where they don't feel like nagging plot holes or what have you. Right. Yeah. Um, being canceled doesn't mean what it used to. Yeah. 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 It used to be, you know, Cartoon Network would pick up the shit since Cartoon Network was the people who did the crime, you know, Netflix or Hulu or whatever mm-hmm. could grab it. Yeah. Um, and that's just if the creators want to. It sounds mm-hmm. like they did because they're writing a new season. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like Arrested Development getting picked up, like mm-hmm. way after the fact, uh, Wet Hot American Summer getting a TV series after, yeah. like things come back, mm-hmm. you know, we're not banking on it. If it doesn't happen, we're okay. But yeah. if it does happen, great. And I think it might happen. Uh, Bill asks, has Cole played Halo Wars, and do you have any thoughts about it? Uh, so I think that I played, like, a demo for Halo Wars. Uh, Gary, Halo Wars is the uh, console... RTS. RTS. Yeah, set in yeah. the Halo universe. I remember it being fine. Uh, a console mm-hmm. RTS is a little bit of a tough putt, just because, I, I, I don't know, it's it, it, like, I remember control being a little bit of a problem. It was one of those things where it was like, yeah, they solved a lot of the problems, and it's admirable that they fixed it the way that they did, but it still isn't enough. I'd still rather be playing this with a mouse. Um, mm-hmm. But I remember, you know, it's it was made by the Age of Empires people, so, like, the, the, the balance and, like, actual flow of play was really satisfying. Yeah, it was uh, competent. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I've played a little, but not enough that I feel that I can speak in more depth than I just did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What does yeah. Matt say? Matt says, uh, what's a nice surprise that's happened to you recently? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Are we playing some kind of gratitude game here, Pollyanna? All right. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, what's going on, Matt? Uh, I ordered pizza last night uh, because I'm running low on provisions in the death fog. And uh, don't worry, I tipped very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a pizza place. You know, the pizza places that are open in the Death Fog are, uh, you know, few. Yeah. yeah. No, not corporate. There just aren't very many of them. No. But the one I found that was delivering turned out to be excellent. And I'd never had them before because cool. my regular places were not delivering. 
yeah. uh, because of the death fog. Right. So that was a pleasant surprise was this very tasty pizza I got to eat mm-hmm. and continue to eat for the next couple of days because who knows how long it has to last me. <laughs> yeah. So. This, is, this is a project <laughs> pizza. Uh. Yeah. Project pizza. Project <laughs> pizza. <laughs> Uh, for me, uh, it is kind of like how quickly my new kitten has gotten on her feet. C- kind of literally. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. I adopted her, what, two, three weeks ago, something like that. And she was way too young. And I was super worried that it was going to be a long road um, of literally bottle feeding her. Uh, you know, like I'd have to like wrap her in a, in a blanket and bottle feed her so she would get enough, uh, calories. But like now she is eating dry food and she's running around and playing with things. Her weight is getting up. Like she is, you know, she has gone from being a little screen bean to being like an actual ass kitten. And I thought that was going to be more of a process than it was. She's a potato. Mm-hmm. She's moved into potato mode, small potatoes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So that's been nice. Uh, Mark asks, if you'd only ever watch films from a single decade for the rest of your life, which decade would you choose? What a fun question. Yeah, probably the 80s. It's really difficult. This is a really tough question. This is hard. The 80s would be really fun. Yeah. And there's tons of good horror Mm -hmm. stuff in the 80s. Uh, And 70s. 70s are really. Yeah. Uh, but it's just, like, do you go for like a growth mindset or like a familiarity mindset? Like, mm-hmm. is it, I want to watch more movies I haven't seen, you know? I mean, like only ever, I think that uh, maybe this reveals a, a, a very unenlightened attitude toward media or whatever. I think that like, oh, only ever. I think that the role that movies play in my life is for recreation, you know, like, and I would mm-hmm. rather have a wider amount of things that would help me that I, that I would just enjoy watching that, that, that is more valuable to me than something that would be strictly edifying. Yeah. In that, in that case, uh, if I was doing nostalgia, I might have to go nineties mm-hmm. because I was 10. Right. You know, around then. And like, I like 80 tons of eighties movies, but I would want to be able to watch like Jurassic park and shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, uh, being John Malkovich. Um, but it'd be tricky. Mm-hmm. What a tough question. Um, don't force us to do that. Uh, that'd yeah. be the answer. Please I thought don't. about this. I went back and forth between the 70s and 80s uh, quite a bit. Yeah. But like, I don't know. The, the, the 10s had a lot of really good shit. Um, yeah, yeah. You know? Somebody's screaming at us about the 70s because the 70s yeah. is when you get like the conversation and stuff. Right. Taxi driver and Chinatown mm-hmm. and everything. Like somebody, somebody is really losing their mind about that, like missing out on dog day afternoon. Yeah. You know, but then I think of like the yeah. sting one, the, the sting won a, uh, an Oscar in the seventies and that movie fucking sucks. So like, <laughs> you're just going <laughs> to get a bunch of, bunch that of that. What, what's that? I know we were talking about how much you hate the sting. <laughs> I just don't like it. It's not good. It's boring. Uh, what about the sting too? I, I've never seen it because <laughs> I uh, hated I the first either. one. We watched the, the Sting in uh, high school. Remember oh, yeah? on on some show, I was talking about that uh, cinematography teacher who went to go fuck the librarian. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because uh, we made Cinematography Club. Uh-huh. The Sting was one of the movies we watched in that. Cool. <laughs> so all these cool teenagers watching the Sting. Yeah. While, so, so he so uh, he Mr. Had, Hirsch got his dick wet. Like, yeah. He he had roughly four hours of pointless nonsense for you to watch <laughs> yeah, yep. while he went. He could and do just, all kinds you know, of foreplay. Dude. Yep. Like, just, <laughs> like I got to stop showing you guys 90 minutes movies. I can't explain why. <laughs> Getting into that tantric shit. <laughs> okay, guys, this is Barry Lyndon. Yeah. I know that you had to sign a permission slip to stay up this late, but 
<laughs> yeah. All right. So we're going to be watching an un- uninterrupted all seven hours of Satan Tango. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant Alexander plots. I'm getting into that tantric shit. <laughs> <laughs> Guy was a legend. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, fuck. Uh, (laughs) let's see here holland asks uh if all the main resident evil protagonists were de-aged to teenagers and you were forced (laughs) to parent one of them who would be the easiest teen to manage and why who would be the biggest pain in the ass teen to parent and why what a fun question that's a good question Um, holland great question um i would be barry's dad i think barry (laughs) and i share like a a lot of like i would understand what it would be like to grow up to be barry (laughs) You, yeah. you 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 look at Barry and you think I, I I can comprehend the path that he walked to be that. In terms of Resident Evil protagonist, yes, yeah, uh, you know, because it's like they all have guns and stuff. Like my boy would not raise a gun. Like my boy would be very unprepared to be in Stars. Yes, like my boy would uh, sell like State Farm. Be, I mean, like a Barry billboard or something. He'd be very pliant. You know, all yes. I have to do is hold hold something he loves hostage and he'll, you know, do awful things. Totally. For like, yeah. yeah, you want your bunny back? <laughs> you know, go tell your mom dinner's ready. Yeah. You know, like it, it would be very easy to manipulate my boy. Uh, and then who would be the biggest pain in the ass? Uh, you know, it's tricky because it's protagonist. Well, I mean, the, the, the obvious answer here would be um, uh, would be, oh, gosh, what's his name? What? Jake. Jake Muller, Wesker's uh, clone son or, or whatever. Yeah, the, from yeah, the clone boy. Yeah. Yeah, the, the beef boy and sidekick. Sidekick <laughs> of beef boy. Um, yeah, I was th- I was sure there was a Wesker mm-hmm. uh, in, kid in there. And, yeah. you know, a, whisk, a clone of Wesker would be difficult. I would find Rebecca Chambers really annoying. It, it, would, be, um, it would be difficult to relate to her, uh, to, to relate yeah. to her, especially like if you're just getting this teen, like, hi, this is my <laughs> pulling a marker. Yeah. Rubio. Here's my adult Cuban son. <laughs> yeah, here's, my, here's my adult star son. Yeah. Um, uh, it would be easier. Like if, if uh, Rebecca, I feel like I would have to raise her from birth because I, yes. I do not feel that I understand the problems that a teenage girl would go through like that. I got no idea. Yeah. However, my answer for this, for like the, 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 the one that I think would be, would be easiest to manage would be Claire. Okay. Yeah, Claire would be, Claire's pretty easy to go. She's got a good head on her shoulders and seemed like some, you know, like seemed like she probably, you know, got her n- nurturing streak early. I realize that sounds kind of, kind of sexist or whatever, but like there is a kind of person who just takes other people into consideration. Um, you know, and she seems like that, that kind of just has been her thing for a while. So yeah, consider it. And I think a considerate kid would be good. Um, and yeah, Jake Muller would be the, would be the worst. A kid Leon would probably be pretty rough. I was thinking a kid Leon would be better than a kid Chris, dude. I don't like, yeah, Chris would be like like this little workout kid. Yeah. Like it'd be like Bill Murray's sons. (laughs) In, in Rushmore, like a thing I think about on, on the daily. I think you referenced uh, in like two other shows recently, dude. I can't stop thinking about him. How funny it is just to have these two beef boys. It's it's very Tim and Eric. It's like the brothers of Kitty Cat Man. Uh, like, uh, but yeah, just like man, Chris, just like mm-hmm. super serious, yeah, constantly pumping iron and listening to dumb fucking metal. It'd be like having Dante as a kid almost. Yeah, like Dante grows up to be Chris. Ugh. 
no, disgusting. No. And like, and you know, it, it's it, it's good to be involved in stuff. But Chris would play football in the fall, basketball in the winter, and track in the spring. God. And I can't keep up with that. Yeah, yeah. And summer would be like something oh, outside. Oh, it's all conditioning. Yeah, yeah. It's all conditioning. Like you just have to go watch your son run laps. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine? I mean, you're, you're, you're going to do it because he's your son and you want him to succeed. But ugh. yeah, I would change that boy. <laughs> I, I would immediately misery him. Like he'd never run again, actually. So, <laughs> you had Munchausen like, by proxy? <laughs> yeah. I'd misery him by proxy. Yeah. Misery him by directly. Like I, I, I would, uh, he would never run. I'm going to poison my boy. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna, I, well, I gave you poison to slow you down. Uh-huh. Uh, Cassie Gee. asked, uh, for Gary, will Cassette Goblin ever come back? I know that it was more of a niche project, but I'm the only person who misses it. For Cole, do you ever think about getting into, uh, making a regular or semi-regular zine? If so, what would you like to cover in it? Uh, it's not something I'm interested in doing. Uh, and also I've got a lot of projects, you, you know, I just, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not something I want to do. Uh, cause that goblin is super fun. It mm-hmm. took up way too much time. And, uh, at a certain point it became not cost neutral. And I was like, I can't justify this. Yeah. Um, I would like to do it, uh, at some point again, I can imagine doing it again cause it was fun. And I like the, the idea of it. I like having them there on the covers and magnets on my fridge and stuff. Yeah. Um, I think if I relaunched it, it'd be a much more modest product, uh, with quite, you know, lower production value. Like not that it was like a fancy bound book or anything, mm-hmm. but I would have to make it cheaper. Uh, to make it work. Um, and I would probably not do every month. I'd yeah. probably do once every two months because that was just having that on my schedule was very stressful. It's a lot. No. Uh, even though it was fun. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I also thought about doing it digitally, but then it feels like, what's the point? Yeah. Not, just, no you know, do, do no, no disrespect to the digital zine people, but like, yeah, yeah come on. Um, moving on to our topic. Yeah. Uh, uh, this y- was not presented as a topic, but we thought it was a good topic yes uh, it's a little bit related to uh to, to the last one uh as well uh but we have andrew who writes uh when do you guys quit games assuming uh that you like the base mechanics etc uh to get past the first hour or so when do you push through a bullshit level or encounter and when do you walk away uh this question is inspired by immortal unchains teleporting snipers in apexian yeah, that's brought to you by teleporting snipers. <laughs> we always hit our target. Um, the, like, uh, so this is uh, distinct from last month, which was like taking a break from games in general. This is yes. when you cut bait on a specific game and decide, you know, like, I don't actually need to see the end of this. I'm all right. Or I'm going to put in the cheat code. That means seeing the ending on YouTube. Right, right. Um, this is difficult. It's a hard question because this is almost never a conscious decision. Uh, if I'm playing something that is not for a show, uh, it is just that uh, at, at, at one time I quit the game and I just never open it back up and I don't think about it again. Yeah, it's very easy to drift away from something. Right. Um, and the thing that makes me, you know, when I try to figure out, like, what is making me drift mm-hmm. uh, on this, um, it's like a 50-50 mix of stuff that's happening to me and things in the game. Yeah. You know, like something that I've been thinking about uh, a lot lately with the pandemic and like hell year is, uh, and we talked about this, uh, we talked about it before as well. It's not a new idea, but like right game at the right time. Yes. You know, Um, so like there's something where it's like, it's not an aspect of the game, but for example, when we did like Legend of Grimrock 2, which mm-hmm. I can't believe that was this year, but Jesus. it was this year. Yeah. Uh, that was the exact right game I needed. 
mm-hmm. at the time. Like I got super into it. I like fell into it really hard, you know, played it in all my off time, got beat really quick. Mm-hmm. Like absolutely adored it. It was the exact right game. And then like something will pop up where it's like a game that I ostensibly like, but it's kind of the wrong game. Like mm-hmm. I'm just kind of not in the mood, you know, for it at that point. Uh, so those things influence my, my quitting and sticking with things a lot. And then there's momentum where I, whenever I get to that point where it's like, I may as well just start over mm-hmm. or I don't really, I don't feel a continuity to this character anymore. Yeah, uh, yeah. That is a really powerful inertial barrier because <laughs> it's like, well, I don't, I, it's, you know, a whole like starting completely over from scratch is a totally different proposition than like doing the last 15 hours of this. Yeah. And what's funny is like the starting over from scratch, a lot of the time for me that happens really early on in the game where like i will sit down and have my first session of it be uh the tutorial and you know a tutorial can last you know hour two hours or whatever fully a session right um and then you go away and do something and i come back and i'm like oh i didn't internalize anything that they told me to do and i like i would have to do that again to actually get my get my legs under me yeah 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 um, yeah, so, so a big part of it is just that kind of a, a inertial feeling, right? Yeah. And then in terms of things uh, a game can do, um, for me, it's very rarely is it like one bullshit encounter. Yeah. Um, people talk about that kind of thing a lot in a game, but a lot of times it's, you know, I'm like, okay, I can get past this. Uh, and sometimes I will like that kind of thing. Like, I know this is, this is going to sound contrarian of me, but like, I kind of didn't mind the snipers in Immortal Unchained, like in in playing it. I recognize why they're annoying. I don't want to take that away from anybody in my experience in my hands. I was like, oh, I can figure this out. Like, this is probably intended as like a fun challenge. I'm seeing it as that. That's Mm -hmm. not objectively what it is. Mm -hmm. That's how I'm reacting to it. Uh, for me, it is the, the base, you know, again, was talking about earlier like what i'm doing for most of the game yeah like god i move really fucking slow in this game (laughs) yeah and they just they just wanted me to backtrack like i gotta go all the way back to the beginning Mm -hmm. like that will stop me it's not you know go back to our difficulty episode and we were talking about like you know just as a thought experiment like patience as a kind of difficulty right yeah like you compare those two scenarios the apexion snipers are a thing that i can try different i can constantly be engaged trying different tactics Mm -hmm. to get past past them a long walk back to the beginning is or like a a 90 minute cutscene or what have you Mm -hmm. is something that i can't try anything like it's just like here here's some downtime sit and like it Mm -hmm. you have to get through it yeah uh if i'm not actively trying to bring new solutions to something or trying new things or iterating that -hmm. will put me off yeah it's a it's a knot that you're working through as opposed to just pulling line for hours and hours I love it. Yeah, I love a knot. Love mm-hmm. to solve a problem. Love to to solve a puzzle. Yeah. Hate to watch a movie in the middle of my game. Hate to just press up mm-hmm. for like a long time. Yeah, and you know? like the, like the, there's a limit to that too. Like I'm I'm pretty sure that uh, um, if I wasn't covering it for the show, I wouldn't have finished Sekiro. yeah (laughs) like that's the extreme version of that where you know like getting through the knot is a thing that people explicitly say like it's it's a good thing that it took me you know two weeks of constant effort to learn and beat sword saint ishin um or you know even like roof owl uh is you know was was a pretty big was a pretty big wall for me as much as i came to like that fight uh better in the end um yeah like it like that that would have been like too much 
too much for totally, me. They're totally exceptions. Yeah. Like, I don't think I would have... And it, a lot of times, games don't put them on their critical path, right? Like, I don't yeah. think I would have uh, beat the Nameless King right? if I was just playing Dark Souls 3 for fun. Mm-hmm. And then eventually got to the point where, like, I never beat Madeira. I'm like, fuck this shit. You know, like, I eventually got to where I wasn't going to do it. Oh, yeah. Well, just like, um, like you look at it, and it's like, oh, this isn't serious. <laughs> like, yeah. you're, not, you're not a serious game. Okay, cool. Yeah, you're, yeah. Not, you're, not, you're not being real. Yeah. So they're definitely, but in a general sense, it tends to be tedium mm-hmm. in a more, in some cases though, it is definitely just an annoying knot. And a lot of times with those knots, I start feeling like I've run out of ways to try to untie it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's still that metaphor. Like with Sword Saint Ishan, I just, I tried going into it with my instincts. Mm-hmm. I tried going into it, you know, okay. Like I know these moves, mm-hmm. you know, that he has, uh, but then he pulls out an Uzi and just shoots me with like, and I cannot react in time. <laughs> right. So then I look it up and they're like, okay, use the umbrella prosthetic for this. So I go and I level up the umbrella prosthetic and I get enough, uh, spirit emblems or whatever mm-hmm. to block that consistently. And then it's another thing. And I just kind of run it, ran out of yeah. want, like will to <laughs> untie the knot and then ways to untie the knot. Like I'm doing this right, but it just, I need to untie it faster. It's like, Oh yeah. It, it, it boils back down to either brute force or, you know, aptitude, right? It, yeah. Like it boils back down to back down to those, which is kind of its own, you know its own kind of tedium. Like I can't outsmart this, you know. Yeah, yep, and and that's really valuable to me. Like yeah. I will put, you know, it's it's genre dependent. Like I will put a lot of time into getting past an encounter in a turn based mm-hmm. game, you know, that is not reflex based. Yeah, um, you know, uh, or even like a hybrid. Thing. Like, you know, you run in, like I played Fallout 4 and I'm like, oh, there's a Deathclaw here. He's legendary. I shouldn't fight him. Mm-hmm. Do I have enough stuff in my equipment to kill him? Like, mm-hmm. this, is a, this is a knot I can try to un, untangle. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing works for me very well. Whereas a simple, like, reflex test, uh, not simple reflex test, that's dismissive, but like something that is more just aptitude and in, in, in the hands, mm-hmm. I'm less likely to do. Yeah. Um, in a non-mechanical sense, the story can fail me, and not just because, like, oh, they they decided to go in a stupid direction, or I, you know, I don't I don't like what they're saying uh, about their characters, or just about you know things in general with this. On a more kind of you know fundamental level, like going like way back to like ten years ago on the Joystick Podcast when Justin McElroy laid out a very good definition of like what can make a, a game story good, like. A, a game's story at the very least should provide enough motivation for you to see the next thing, you know, yeah. that, you know, to, 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 you know, to pull you through either implicitly, um, uh, sorry, not either directly by, uh, by, by saying like, here's the problem you are trying to solve. Here's the goal that you're trying to get. Here's what might be coming, uh, after you do the next thing or, um, indirectly, by providing you with a tantalizing enough, enough mystery and cool enough stuff to like pull you along the way. There's an awful lot of times when a game's story, and this is tied up with pacing too, which can be, can, you know, can be tied up with play. Like they just make you do some awful bullshit for, for long enough that you forget why you're doing it and you stop wanting to know what's on the, on the next horizon. Right. Um, and that like, it's, it stops providing the motivation for you to like open it up and see, and see what's coming, you know? This is, I know this is a, a canard for me, but this ends up being a huge thing when I have revisited like a bunch of old RPGs, like yeah. JRPGs, uh, specifically, you know, I think when I think about the idea, like I still, you know, I've had a, a, a some thirst in me for that. Like I've wanted to kind of revisit Final Fantasy nine. Right. Yeah. And when I think about that, I think about how every time I play it, there's a part 
where you explore a cave and I don't remember the context around it because the story after the first act of that game kind of becomes a little nonsensy. But there's like a cave you go explore that has uh, the Eidolons in it or the, the summoners, the Eitares. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's where you get uh, Amorak or right after you get Amorak. Oh, Amorath? Amorath? Yeah. Amorath? Yeah. It's right before or after you get him. It's on the west side of the map. Mm-hmm. And I just remember it's a shitty dungeon. It's yeah. under-motivated. And every time I've played it, I would be like, feel this ex- intense sense of like, go away. <laughs> like, get away. I'm being pushed away. This sucks. Mm-hmm. This is boring and stupid. The beginning uh, of disc three in Final Fantasy IX is fucking dire. It's, yeah. it's so, you know, so that kind of thing. Or, or I think about revisiting Final Fantasy VIII, right? Mm-hmm. And I just think about this feeling of exhaustion of being in this, in you know, this intense A storyline, and then going to Laguna's fuck off palace of goofy dickheads, you know, where it's like, <laughs> oh, but I live in a pastoral village and everything's goofy, and I'm kind of a comedy character, but I've never said anything even remotely funny in my entire life. Right, but right. I'm positioned as comedy. One of my friends you know, doesn't I, speak; he just grunts. I have a grunting friend, and then the one black person in the world who's. <laughs> Like you know, this lithe, like uh-huh. alien creature, and like I did, just the idea of doing that sounds so exhausting to me. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, like go away, get away. Like it's it's like a sign above a haunted mine. Yeah, to me, you know, thinking back to those parts, and they're just <laughs> it's that tedium and that and like wait, I, the re, I didn't bring this up out of nowhere. I was bringing it up to your point. Mm-hmm. Those are points where the story is no longer pulling me out long at all. Yeah. Uh, Final Fantasy IX definitely gets to that point. Final Fantasy VIII definitely gets to that point where it's like, I just don't, I don't care. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't care what happens next, you mm-hmm. know, to this stuff. You, you fucked up. Yep. You know, uh, it happened with uh, in 2 when uh, Luca oh. Blight gets taken over by the thingy. Uh-huh. You know, I'm like, I don't care anymore. And like, that's near the end of the game. But boy, it did a lot of work to like push me away. Haunted mm-hmm. mind, do not enter. Uh, you know, you, you are no longer invested in this. This is dumb now. Yeah. You know, yeah, no, I, I, I agreed. <laughs> like yeah. you, like you hit those stretches where just kind of like you know you're you're, you're kind of stuck. You're 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 uh, um, not being pulled by any of the grass. Like you, you have stopped being propelled by the thing behind you, and you did it didn't propel you far enough, and and it's not pulling hard enough to get you the next node to you know, to get you yep. there. You're just uh, you're stranded between two forces that are both. And replayed. Like replayed um, uh, Bloodlines mm-hmm. recently with a mod, um, and that also has that part. Yeah, you know oh, when you get like, to Chinatown. Yeah, it, it's a little bit before that. It's like the the sewers and like the the mansion or whatever the um, Giovanni. Oh yeah, mansion yeah. like happens in there, but yeah, it's like right around there, mm-hmm. and it's like oh yeah, like you guys ran out of time. Yeah, you know, there's some cool things in Chinatown, but it's a really irritating location mm-hmm. and it just stops like that's the part it really ties into that question about god of war earlier yeah you know where it's like you stop having patience for things being put in front of you like mm-hmm. you have to go get the doodad you have to go do the thing yeah you know and that's just that's serious mm-hmm. it's real yeah think about how much of your story and incident is deferring payoff and how much of it is delivering and then iterating and giving you new payoff um, yeah. after it yeah, yeah. Those, those are big things kind of mechanically and story-wise yeah they'll put me off and then also you know things in my life and uh and too much time passing between yes. when i put something down yeah um boy nothing will get me off of a game that i'm kind of ho-hum about than finding a game that i'm really excited about to play that too yeah something new comes like, along yeah 
it's a uh, it's amazing that games I was in the middle of survived Tony Hawk two <laughs> landing. You know, yeah, because like talk about the right game at the right time, Ex- extinction right? event, yeah, yeah, like absolute <laughs> extinction event, like just like. Oh man, I got I got to play some more Dino Crisis too, huh? Yeah, okay. You know, I I've been I've been working on this line though. Like I <laughs> I really got this line. I know I can I, just, I, I know I can get all the way around this map. I I've, yeah, I've seen I, it happen. I can do it. I <sighs> just saw a video of a guy get like a, a two million point combo, and I'm getting like a million points in my whole run. Sometimes mm-hmm. you know I'm getting four hundred thousand point combos and feeling pretty good. But whoa, you know I have a lot to learn. It'd yeah. be fun to learn it. I mm-hmm. can listen to ska that I dollar eight you know <laughs> like that yeah. sounds good to me mm-hmm. i don't know that i have anything more to add about this no it's highly individual too mm-hmm. we, we, the other thing i wanted to speak to that's related to this is uh i felt really good about i'm not trying to tell anybody how to be i felt very good about myself when i gave up my i have to go down with the ship mentality yeah uh, yeah that's a it thing hap- it happened with books first uh then it happened with tv shows um, then with games, it doesn't, hasn't happened with movies yet. Like if I start a movie, I'll finish a movie because you know, they're not all Barry Lyndon. Like they're <laughs> not all, you know, Berlin, Alexander Platz. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, but the, uh, with those things, I eventually was like, I'm not enjoying this. I don't have to keep reading it. Mm-hmm. And that was an immense weight off my shoulders. Like, yeah, I could do other stuff instead. This feels mm-hmm. great. The, 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 the ways, the way that I, uh, conceptualize that or just, you know, put it to words is like understanding the difference between I'm like, I have finished this and I am done with this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yep. Uh, and the, the show complicates that obviously, like I try to beat everything mm-hmm. that we do for the show. Um, before we started doing this full time, that was not always the case. Right. Right. Like there's games that we did earlier in that, that I'm like, I, I didn't beat. And now it's incredibly rare that I don't see the ending of something right. uh, on my own, but it does happen from time to time. And it's just, that's because vocation got mixed up in it, which is not a normal concern for most people. Right. You know, that's our own special weirdo jobs. Mm. Yeah. So, but good question. Yeah. Good, good question. Interesting, interesting topic. Yeah. Um, I recommend giving up on stuff halfway through. <laughs> it's, I, I, it'll I, make I, you really happier. If, yeah. If you're not, if you're not enjoying it, like mm-hmm. there's a weird, like quasi me and we'll talk about this, but like me and will are, are have different kind of general philosophies. But one thing that we have a lot of overlap on is this kind of like adjacent to hedonism feeling of like, Hey, we're only here for so long. Like, let's enjoy it. Like, mm-hmm. let's try to maximize our happiness and maximize the happiness of others and minimize our misery. Yeah. You know, and that's what I think of this as related to. Like, it's possible I can go down with the ship and get like a really profound nugget of joy, uh, but it's just as likely, or I would say more likely, I don't. Yeah. And I would rather throw the dice again than yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, pretty much aligned with that. For the topic. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for the topic. Mm-hmm. If we didn't get to your question or uh, prompt, we will mm-hmm. um, hit us up next month. Yeah. Uh, on the Patreon. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about going and doing uh, doing the responses? I feel good about it. Let's do it. Uh, so we're going to start here with our uh, with people talking about Plants vs. Zombies. We have Ben writing in via contact saying, I decided to reinstall uh, Plants vs. Zombies on my phone and give it another playthrough after listening to your episode. Uh, it's maybe my fourth time playing through the game. I quickly fell in love with the game again, largely due to the excellent theming. All of the Plants and Zombies animations produce so much character with so little. And the almanac adds genuinely funny information to most of them. My favorite being the tall nuts entry, uh, which suggests a rich backstory with the walnut. 
Um, I'm currently giving the sequel another chance after bouncing off of it uh, on release. I'm really enjoying it, but I remember the difficulty getting a bit hateful later on. Uh, the highlight of Plants vs. Zombies 2 so far is the pirate zombies shouting, Brains Ahoy! Yeah. Uh, I have, since the last time we recorded that, uh, Plants vs. Zombies 2 has been my, like, before bed game. Ooh. Uh, and I beat the adventure mode. And nice. it gets hateful as hell. <laughs> uh, near the end and i've been doing like degenerate like playing in the arena once a day to claim gems oh to buy geez stuff. wow yeah oh yeah it's bad dude it's it's dark here man i'm trapped inside there's a death no, I, I, no. I, I wasn't I, this week. I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't <laughs> criticizing you no it's, it's it's bleak though it's bad yeah um but the adventure mode uh so one thing i wanted to give i mentioned this on another episode there is a, a mod out there i can't remember the name but you can google it mm-hmm. that changes plants versus zombies 2 into a single player type game you can play mm-hmm. on your computer you um, have to do an android emulator right yeah probably have to do an android emulator but that's you know a small price to pay to not have to pay any money and just have regular unlocks mm-hmm. of this uh the other thing i can give to people who are playing plants vs zombies 2 which is like the adventure is like 80 percent good like before it gets absolutely hateful um but use your your boosted plants that you have in your garden yeah uh so dorky uh <laughs> <Samuel says laughs> contact uh, I'm not sure if I should thank you or curse you two for this episode. I ended up redownloading Plants vs. Zombies in the middle of the episode and spent 20 plus hours replaying the campaign and challenge modes, getting to 20 waves on Endless. Hmm. I even started playing Plants vs. Zombies 2. I managed to avoid spending money so far. While these games are swell, I've stopped playing Disco Elysium and Lords of Magic due to my Plants vs. Zombies habit. Hey, uh, uh, Disco Elysium and Lords of, Lords of Magic will still be there when you come back. And also, yeah, there's not much more life. you can do with it. <laughs> like, you... Yeah, the, absolutely there's there's your life needs simple and complex cards man mm-hmm. yeah you know what uh you're probably playing this on your phone possibly uh you're not playing disco elysium on your phone you need something to play on your phone yeah they should port disco elysium to phones yeah and until but until they do plants versus zombies can be fine absolutely <laughs> yeah yeah uh, Andrew writes via contact. I confess that I get jealous when other people have spouses that are also into gaming. My wife just isn't into video games at all. Sees no value in them and never plays them except one. Yes. For about six months back in 2014, my wife was completely and utterly addicted to plants versus zombies. It was all she did for hours each day with no other hobbies or interests. I have distinct memories of returning from night class around 10 p.m. to find her playing it uh, on the iPad, eyes glazed over, totally oblivious to time and space. I wasn't even sure that she ate dinner. She beat the game twice, tried the sequel, got bored, uh, and hasn't played another video game since. We've been married uh, 10 years this month. Congratulations. Uh, And to this day, I still have no idea why she got hooked on this game. Uh, Was it the catchy music, the little dancing sunflowers, the Zen garden? I'll never know, but I suspect the tactile, the tactile nature of the play on the iPad was a key factor. Uh, What do you guys think? All the above. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, All the above. Like uh, iPad, you know, children uh, often, I'm not comparing your wife to a child, but children also gravitate towards touchscreens. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, they make a lot of intuitive sense. Yep. And I'm going to just say like people who are not used to playing games, mm-hmm. you know, a lot, because even for things that feel very intuitive to, to us, like there are barriers to that. I remember trying to get my ex-wife into portal yeah. and just like an FPS, like WASD and mouse just mm-hmm. didn't make sense. Yeah. You know, period. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, oh yeah, this is stuff I grew up with. Like, I've, of course it makes sense to me. Like I played I'm sure Come she on. could get it. Yeah. yeah she, she wasn't dumb. It's just whether you would have those interface skills, whereas touching something is as element, elemental as it gets. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah. So and, like uh, the, the, the iPad, definitely uh, the theming, definitely like it's super approachable and inviting. It is not off putting in any particular way. Um, but also like, like the campaign is designed really well. Like go back and listen to us. heap the, the amount of praise on it that we did, like it gives you something new every time, you know, like mm-hmm. it, it is a super gentle curve, but it's, it's incredibly generous. And like that dopamine hit was good enough that they decided, Oh, we can monetize this. So let's make it, so let's make it so you pay money to get that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. But, uh, initially it was definitely, it's, it's much more pure and a really good example of like just stringing you along in a good way. Yeah. You know, the, the op- what we were talking about earlier with quitting games, mm-hmm. like there's always a treat around the corner and you always want to know what the next treat is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, moving on to responses at Lords of Magic, Eric says, I gave Lords of Magic a good five hours before coming to a slow realization. The game seemed really cool, but wouldn't I like it more if the combat was turn-based and if the interface was a little easier to use? And heck, if it was about 20% more aesthetically appealing. <laughs> then I realized that the game I was gradually putting together in my mind was just Heroes of Might and Magic. So, <laughs> Lords of Magic, I dedicate my $3 Steam sale purchase of Heroes of Might and Magic 5 to you. May your bravery never be forgotten. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, Heroes of Might and Magic is also very cool and good. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're different, and you know now we can kind of play whatever the best possible version of those things are. We can't talk to that in mm-hmm. the episode, uh, but you know there is a lot of historical value, I think. Yeah, to some of those weird little uh, diverticula. Yeah, um, agreed. Samuel writes via conduct saying, wow, what a coincidence. When I was a kid, I used to watch an older nerdy neighbor friend uh, play Lords of Magic, thinking it was the coolest game in the world. While Kid Me always died playing it, I loved reading the manual and looking at the poster of the different factions units. However, my neighborhood, my, my neighbor moved a year or so afterwards, and I eventually forgot the game's name. A few years later, trying to refind this game before having internet access, I was introduced to Baldur's Gate, uh, and now I've been a DM for 20 years. And time to time, I think about the mystery CRPG that guided me into this hobby, but I never found it. While listening to the episode, I googled Lords of Magic Manual, and sure enough, I saw the poster that took me down the path to RPG fandom. Thanks for helping me solve this minor mystery. That's awesome. I, I love that. I love the feeling yeah. of, like, I, I have no idea of how to search to identify this thing that I know that I played. I know definitely existed. That feeling of unlocking it and realizing, oh, yeah, here we go. That It existed. I'm not crazy. That happened to me mm-hmm. when we did uh, Little Nemo. Like, I played and rented and liked Little Nemo, but I forgot what it was called i never knew what it was called i just it's knew it was feeling. the game of the keys <laughs> yeah yep the game of the keys mm-hmm. um yeah uh back when before uh the something awful guy became outed mm-hmm. as a sex pass there was a really good thread in that forum that was like identify a game for me mm-hmm. that was full of people doing yeah. this kind of thing mm-hmm. and i i really liked it like i yeah. love that even just vicariously i like hearing about it mm-hmm um, I also like, I relate because the idea of seeing like a poster for this kind of aesthetic, oh, yeah. uh, when I would have been a kid would have, you know, I, that, like that... I, I had plastic jeweled daggers from medieval times. I like <laughs> kept on a throw pillow on yeah. a bookshelf. It was, you know? it was a, it was a poster that would have steered the direction of your life in a meaningful way. You know, as opposed to the other posters that did, and I'm still in the same <laughs> meaningful direction. I just got different posters, <laughs> right. you know, uh, but like, it's, it's that kind of, you know, it's funny cause the, I, I saw some people really, uh, kind of bad mouth the aesthetic of Lords of Magic. And it's like, mm-hmm. it is a primitive looking game, but as far, it made me think about how like when people bad mouth D and D as a thing, like D and D isn't so much a system as an aesthetic. 
Uh-huh. And there, there's like an aesthetic, like this is a genre. Yeah. You know, this kind of specific, like clunky units and cavalry and like this kind of look of a CRPG is almost a, a, a genre in itself. Mm-hmm. You know, a storytelling genre, not just like a video game yeah. genre. Yeah. You know, I, I can see... I can see being like dismissive of the like the way that it presents the stuff because yeah it's pretty primitive, you know it's really chunky especially yeah. when you're in the like the unit combat uh, hyper zoomed in and stuff. But like what it's depicting is charming and is of that vein that you're talking about that genre that uh, you know yes you know uh, that a lot of us have yep. a weakness for. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Brett says via contact. Uh, hey guys, I really enjoy listening to the episodes you've done on odd or obscure games that I somehow stumbled on and loved when I was a kid, such as Nox and King of Dragon Pass. So I was ecstatic when I checked out the WAF feed recently and saw your episode on Lords of Magic. Lords of Magic is wrapped in a thick blanket of nostalgia for me. I think I received it as a Christmas present when I was about 12 or 13, and I spent several years trying to wrap my head around this fun but frustrating game. It's a weird one to be sure, part of a genre that includes Heroes of Might and Magic 3, another old favorite, and a of wonders in the age of wonders series and originates in 1990 uh originates in the 1994 game master of magic which i highly recommend if you haven't checked out it holds up extremely well as a kid it took me a long time to understand lords of magic's uh complex economy and get past its steep learning curve it also didn't help that as you noted in the episode the game's rts style combat is horrible i auto calced my way through almost every battle because the experience of actually fighting those battles was so unpleasant the thing I remember most fondly about Lords of Magic, which you also touched on, are the amazing possibilities for emergent narrative in the game. The lack of a set story means it's basically tailor-made for nerdy kids to imagine grand narratives for their little, little parties of heroes <laughs> traveling across this huge, hostile landscape. And listening to the episode brought a lot of these stories back. During my first Victorious playthrough, for example, I was playing as Earth, and at some point decided I had what it take. Uh, what it took to take on Belkoth. I rallied my forces and threw them into a massive all-or-nothing invasion of the Deathland, leaving my home territory lightly defended. It wasn't long before marauding parties and enemy lords were rampaging through my emptied kingdom. Uh-oh. While surveying the damage, I was shocked to find that a destroyed mushroom tower on an old frontier was still technically under my control, giving <laughs> me a strong dose of poignant Fallen Empire feeling that I remember clearly to this day. In another game, I cleared out some ancient tower in the wilderness, the higher level dungeons in this game are absurdly difficult, and decided to post up a scout inside to monitor enemy movement in the area. I picked up uh, a chaos, the chaos scout, a black cat, from a nearby village, but I was so tickled by the idea of this cute kitty living alone uh, in this tower <laughs> in a desolate hinterland that I hired a couple more and ended up creating an entire parallel narrative about a tribe of cats trying to eke out an existence in these isolated ruins. I wonder if you guys have ever had that kind of strong imaginative relationship with particular games and which ones thanks for a great thoughtful episode on an old favorite i i, I don't know that i've ever done anything like at, at that level mm-hmm. yeah when i was young i used to do a lot more of it mm-hmm. you know and now it's just like real life gets in the way but that was the kind of thing i would do yeah. as a kid you know uh mm-hmm. my I, a lot of times that wouldn't happen just naturally in games like uh it would happen in you know i talked about um unlimited adventures the D and D thing. And I would like make my town and make little adventures about me and my friends mm-hmm. going and doing stuff, but it took place in the forgotten realms in a dungeon. Right. You know, and I had to use the sprites available and stuff. Like I would do things like that to make little yeah. stories. I would not, you know, imagine what was going on necessarily mm-hmm. on the screen. Yeah. There's an element of that, um, in, uh, uh your darkest dungeon runs, you know, naming, oh, yeah. naming characters and they have stories that pop up. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like micro stories. Mm-hmm. 
you know, just kind of like, oh, this guy's, you know, can't catch a break. <laughs> yeah, that yep. kind of thing. Yep. So, yeah, that's a that's a great thing about uh, like games that have any kind of degree of randomness to them. Yeah. You know, you, the, the mind can impose order. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, moving on to God of War responses, uh, we have Sam who writes in via contact saying, I really bounced off of God of Boy when I first tried it. I wanted a challenge, so I tried hard mode. I really thought it was one of the worst AAA titles I had ever played and thought all positive opinion must have been pure hype or pure nostalgia. A year later, a friend persuaded me to try it again. This time, wanting it over with, I played it on a lower difficulty. I played all the way through with my dad, who recently passed away, so I admit that I teared up a couple of times during the episode. Sorry for your loss. Um, and I loved the experience. What I realized was they didn't make a hard mode. They made a long mode. Basically, your common enemy took several minutes of mindless hacking and dodging to kill. It might even out later, but the beginning was unforgivably boring. Uh, this made me appreciate the difficulty of some From games uh, that usually feels distinct from this, uh, except for later into the series when they forgot how to make good bosses. Uh, did you guys try harder modes and experience this? Great episode. For once, I actually agreed with Gary on his opinion about a game, but I always love hearing from both of you guys. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome. Now you agree with everything Gary ever says. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Welcome. That's the way it works. Uh, you, can, you can eat oatmeal raw. <laughs> um, the uh, Yeah, I, I'm going to steal the they don't have a hard mode, they have a long mode. That is that's a, a really, very, that's really good. good observation. Very well put. That. Yeah, that happens a lot mm-hmm. with games. I think that's that's really uh, well done. Um, I did not fuck around with hard mode uh, personally. Um, I have absorbed a lot of criticism and like videos and stuff of this through osmosis that was mm-hmm. done on hard mode and related to uh, hard mode. Mm-hmm. So familiar with it a little bit. But I once I finished this, I was not like I got to play that on a harder mode. And when I played it again. I was not like, hey, I want to try something different. I just kind of you know wanted to get through it. And it's probably my last time through it like this did not have tons of replay value for me which is mm-hmm. what playing on a harder mode uh tends to to be for me yeah like more involved or crunchier combat is not what i wanted out of this like that was yeah. that that did not contribute to anything that i you know especially liked about being here although the combat's good you know yeah yeah uh, what does, uh, oh, this is me. Yes. Uh, Joey says, hello. Uh, I've been waiting for you guys to cover God of War for a while, as it's one of my favorite releases in the last several years. However, I was surprised at how lukewarm you were on the gameplay in general. I understand the gripes about some of the puzzling and wall climbing, which certainly deserve the criticism, but I think the combat is as good as any game I've ever played and makes up for a lot of other sins. The Leviathan Axe deserves to be in the pantheon of best video game weapons ever, right up next to the Doom 16 Super Shotgun, and was more than excellent enough on its own to keep me from ever growing tired of the combat during my 20th uh, 20-ish hour playthrough. Where does the axe rank up for you guys uh, in best-feeling video game weapons? Can we get a top three or top five list from each of you? I always appreciate <laughs> your honesty when breaking down games and logical explanations you provide for your criticisms. Keep up the awesome work. The, the Leviathan Axe feels great. I, I really yeah. enjoy it. Like It is, a, it is a, a worthy entry into the pantheon of like good-feeling weapons that also act differently than other, other things that I've played with before. Yeah, it's a tool and a weapon, which is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love it when that happens. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel like we were pretty warm on the combat. Like I, mm-hmm. we just I think didn't that talk about it that enemies. much. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I think that we, we chatted about the enemy variety and how the, the combat's going to kind of feel the same. And like, mm-hmm. there is a satisfying nature to that combat, even yeah. in the same because the axe is really fun. But it was also my second time through the game. Like, 
I don't have an unlimited appetite mm-hmm. for Leviathan X combat. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like in a way, I think the criticism of the enemy variety it comes from a place of like really enjoying the way the combat feels. Actually, I wanted more mm-hmm. interesting stuff to do with it. <laughs> you know, and, and the the bummer is is that it's such a long game that uh-huh. like. You know, the, you know, people who are screaming this, the interesting stuff you do with it is in the Valkyrie fights. Mm-hmm. And those are really good. And uh, if this game wasn't so long and it wasn't a four and a half hour episode anyway, mm-hmm. like we, I probably would have gone through those and could have talked about them in more detail. Yeah. You know, that's kind of where the combat of this game kind of comes alive in general. It's, yeah. you know, there's kind of two halves to any game combat. There's like your half and the, then what you're using it on. Mm-hmm. And they're both equally important. Yeah. You know? Uh, and this is this is a thing where I feel like your half is actually really good, even though I, I also I don't think that the combat is like as deep or as satisfying as like Bloodborne or Souls to me. Yeah, um, that's a high bar. It's a super high bar. Like this is a really good version of that. It's not like it's so simplified as to be like uh, uh, Hellpoint or, or uh, Sasuna's Hellblade. <laughs> Setsuna's Hellpoint, yeah. Well, they, they, I mean, they might as well be. It's Hellblade. There is a game called Hellpoint, but like, they should never have called Hellblade Hellblade. No, no. It's such a weird name for that yeah. game. Yeah, Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice. Yes. Yeah. It's not like Senua's Sacrifice where it's like mm-hmm. a super simplified version of Souls Combat. Like, yeah. it's better than that, but I don't think it's quite. Like, I could have stood a little deeper, I guess. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. that much deeper, though. It's still good. Yeah. Jonathan writes, It's kind of bizarre to me that God of War 2018 made me feel sympathy for Kratos, a character who could be defined by this one sentence. Man, fuck the gods. And the ability to think of ways to violently repurpose severed limbs. Uh, During the scene in which he needs a creature's heart for reasons uh the game has you perform the only real god of war ass button mash qte to do the most god of war ass thing and kratos looks increasingly exhausted and miserable as he becomes coated with more and more blood christopher judge's facial acting made this scene look or made this scene work way more than i expected it to as it went on uh it did a great job of showing that kratos was trying to do better uh and be better uh and having to regress back into his old self even for a moment was just as taxing to him as it was for me uh does this make up for kratos's old behavior hell no but it did work on me and it surprised me in a lot of ways yeah it's a great moment Mm-hmm. And this new Kratos is undeniably more interesting than like, you know, sociopath Kratos. Yeah. Like, yeah, like he, he like he's he's been through it. He knows, and he's trying to stop it. Yeah, <laughs> like he, and he yeah. is in a lot of ways powerless to stop other people from being uh, other Kratoses. You know. Yeah, you get over your Kratos phase. Yeah, like he ride to Fight Club. <laughs> like he, he, <laughs> he loved the movie. Yeah. You know, uh, you get over that. You know, there's a time and place for that. You sell your motorcycle? Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, you take your Twisted Metal games to GameStop. Mm-hmm. Um, just that. I it's a serial killer cloud. It's, that's that's Vito, dude. A ser- <laughs> he's a serial killer cloud. Um, uh, Eric says, via contact, I don't mind dad games. It's a fine enough subject. I have a dad. I am friends with dads. I respect dads as an essential part of the ecosystem. Yay. What I am weary of, though, is playing as fathers who initially don't like their kids. 
Maybe it's just that I played both God of War and The Last of Us for the first time last year, but I'm a little annoyed that the default version of video game fatherhood seems to be grizzled loner who eventually warms to their young ward. Even though I ended up generally liking the narrative of God of War and pretty much loving uh, it as a capital V, capital G video game, dealing with Kratos' terse monosyllabic uh, responses made the early story portions a real slog. Thank God for Mimir. <laughs> Besides being an incredible character, I was just so relieved that Atreus finally had someone to talk to besides a beefy bearded brick wall. Yeah, like Kratos had 10 years to like accept that this kid was going to rely on him for stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like uh I think that this is a very good a very good observation. Like the, the there is, you know, the, the, there can be reluctance to like I don't know if I'm ready for, you know, to have this person rely on me right but it's weird that that is what is always not what is often depicted when this is brought up it's it's a little bit more defensible i think in god of war than in last of us because in god of war they're dealing with an established kratos yeah whereas the last of us they just created a grizzled guy yeah whole cloth but part of that you know like i'm sympathetic to this response but part of it is that like characters go through arcs right like if you don't want you know, the, the, the character has to change if the, if the game is going to be about that, that dad character. So, yeah. like, you know, you don't want him to end resenting his kid. I would like that game. <laughs> yeah. I would think that, like, I think that'd be very funny. So sometimes, sometimes you realize that, you're, that your kid's a piece of shit. You gotta, yeah. cut, what gotta you, cut line. Gotta cut bait. What if you were right the entire time? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, uh, I think that's really funny. But the reason, I think the reason why they're starting them in this really harsh place is to contrast with where they end up. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, and to have that have impact. And in a general sense, I think that's successful. Like, if... You can, I can understand being sick of that type of story, but I think mm -hmm. that type of story is sound from, like, a story equation perspective. Yeah. You know, like, it makes sense for you to be, you know, dismissive of your kid because mm -hmm. eventually the story is about you growing to love your kid. Yeah. And if you love your kid from the beginning and the story, then there's no story in you growing to love your kid. Yeah. Then, it, then there's not a character arc in addition. And these are both meant to be stories about the father's character arcs. Yeah. You know? uh, and The Witcher 3 did it, did it best because oh yeah you know like that like that yeah. that is not a game where like the only movement is ah fuck this kid and then oh i, I can't live without this kid the movement is you know ha have you succeeded in helping the helping your kid be their own person like that yeah. is like that is nuanced and it is you know not just uh like a monodirectional from 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 sad face to happy face you know it like depends on what story you're telling. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like uh the God of War three and The Last of Us are telling story I mean about both characters. Like mm -hmm. they're both important. But that character arc that's uh, addressed is the character arc of uh you know, the dad. Yeah. In Witcher Three, it is a role playing game yep. where the character arc is of the dad, but it can go either way. It's not the yeah. story of a, a dad coming to terms with them. It's an open ended question of what the dad does. Yes. And I also think that's superior. I just think that it's not it's, it's, inherently it's flawed not to have a story. Be done. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not the only thing that can be done. Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's see here. Patches writes via contact. Thank you for the episode. And I'm glad that you covered this game. I'm going to try to keep this short because I've got uh, two things to share. One, I'm really glad that you called out the wine drinking moment. Uh, it really stood out to me as a quintessentially dad moment that felt in line with Kratos' character uh, and the kind of bonding that he might uh, try to have with Atreus. Good stuff. Two, you didn't talk about the combat over much, but I wanted to share a feeling that I had. 
Uh, I felt starting out that Kratos's vocabulary for handling groups was limited in a souls like situation where he could pull control and fight a few guys. He did very well, but four or more attacked on both sides by powerful foes. He struggled. He struggled some. This frustration melted away when the when the blades of chaos arrived for me, uh, this moment felt like a good mechanical upgrade to go along with the story beat of reclaiming his old power. Uh, many times games make you weak on purpose for quote progression reasons. See every Metroid. Uh, but rarely do they make the empowerment feel as integrated with the story, uh, as the blades felt for me here. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can, I can definitely see it. I, I felt like there's a weird thing where the blades I think were meant definitely for crowd control, but I also feel like most of the enemies after that first battle that you yeah. fight are too hearty. Mm-hmm. for for that like it didn't you're, you're kind of controlling them but then it, it you're just kind of holding them at bay and hitting them and unlocking them for a long time and that combat was just never that fun for me yeah you know it, it just never felt that empowering to me i understand what that's what they're going for but i think mm-hmm. that that kind of crowd control aspect works best with like fragile enemies as opposed to tough enemies i guess yeah yeah like if, if the if the flow of an encounter was here's a lot of chaff uh that is coming yes. at you a lot of like a lot of weak things and you know there are a couple of strongos mixed in. If like if if a step was okay, clear out the weak the weakies so you can take on the strongos. That made sense, yes. but the composition never never ended up being exactly that. Yeah. No, they were tied to the element. Yeah. Uh, thing you know, which ended up being a little bit frustrating when you'd have to switch. Yeah. You know. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, Eli says via contact. Towards the end of my playthrough of this game, I've been left interested in playing the OG God of War trilogy, if only to see what led to this iteration of Kratos. I decided to make good on that interest after beating God of War 2018 this most recent time, but sadly, or more likely, thankfully, with only access to a PS4, the only one of these games easily available to me is God of War 3. While I did not finish the game because I could not be bothered to attempt the Zeus fight a second time uh, because I was not in love with the game's combat, I did see basically all the game had to offer, and one thing in particular jumped out at me. Over the game's comparatively short runtime, you find yourself butchering your way through the Greek pantheon, with Poseidon and Hades both dead in the first hour, before you go on to kill Helios and Hermes and Hercules and so on. And I was struck by how hollow most of these kills were ringing inside of me, from the excessive blood and violence to the to the cutscenes themselves. The combat's weightlessness meant these gods were just masses of polygons that Kratos was flailing his blades at before he ripped them apart. With this aspect of the game compared to God of War 18, it's amazing how much weight the entire product, by which I mean both its writing and its mechanics, is able to give to the deaths of Magni and Modi, two figures most people aren't likely to know if they have not uh, been reading up on the Norse mythology. I felt more emotional and physical impact when Atreus stabbed Modi than I did seeing Kratos toss Poseidon around like a ragdoll before tossing him off a cliff. None of that is to say that the God of War 2018 game moved me to tears, but it did make me feel something, like something had happened. Yeah. Yeah. Well observed. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> so what's funny is that, like, uh, we, we talk about God of War, uh, you know, 2018 being Zeus reckoning with his actions in the original trilogy. Like, one and two, it's mostly about, it's about him c- kind of dealing with his, the death of his family and, like, figuring out his place in the pantheon like the thing that defines him is what happens in three which is when he goes and kills every single god in greece so like three might be the only one you actually need to play to like to like to get this but i totally see yeah no like just the 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 combat system is going to define you know is going to define how these bosses feel yeah absolutely and and there is a pleasure to that but they're so different pleasures like yeah 
this one operates as a subversion of those ones, Mm -hmm. but the opposite is not as interesting. Like, you know, what if gods were weak and you just tore apart apart them through, you know, like tissue paper? Uh Not as fun. Right. Um, Uh, What does Evan say? Evan says, the music of God of War is a shining example of class in video game composition. Composer Bear McCreary utilizes excellently, excellently crafted themes for his characters. Kratos' theme uh, that features male chorus and French horns both captures his strength and his anguish. Faye's theme might be the most beautiful melody in the game, but the way McCreary emphasizes the leading tones in the solo soprano and violins demonstrates the anguish of losing a loved one. While a variation on Kratos' theme is used as uh, uh, as one of the accompanying patterns to emphasize their relationship. Kratos's theme and the theme of the giants also tie to Faye's theme by being the only other compositions to feature voice, either solo or chorus. McCreary then uses uh, these themes as leitmotifs, a technique by which themes transform in pitch content, uh, rhythmic structure, orchestration dynamics, and or a combination uh, to demonstrate the growth of the characters through the story. For example, on Kratos' journey to recover the Blades of Chaos, his theme is passed around various wind instruments in the orchestra uh, with slight chromatic variation, which hints at Kratos' uneasiness with his, cur- uh, with his current goal. Uh, this material also juxtaposes against an accompanying figure derived from phase music in the upper strings, uh, showing the history he was trying to forget with his new family. Uh, when the blades are revealed, a final transformation of Kratos' theme arrives by inverting the pitch content of Kratos' theme, conveying a feeling of reverting to old ways. Just amazing. Mercury demonstrates masterful work uh, by an excellent composer that stands out among video game music, even other AAA titles. Uh, as games continue to grow, hopefully composition of this quality becomes the norm. Evan, you should just take that, make it into a script for a YouTube essay and like put in some examples and you probably yeah. you, would, you would get people to, you know, pay attention to that. <laughs> yeah. Good, good yeah, insights. 100%. Yeah. yeah good, good. Definitely good insights. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it, it is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't have a lot to add to that. No, no. But, um, well put. Yes. Uh, Alexander says via contact. For me, every single prestige game seems to have the same problem and consequently the same lack of appeal to me. The Last of Us, Red Dead 2, even Spider-Man, and of course God of War, the characteristic experience of all these games is a stark contrast between wanting to deliver a heavily authored and realistic cinematic experience and having extremely antiquated and clunky gameplay mechanics. Once the initial shine of God of War wore off for me, what was left was a complete chore. Right from the get-go, I find the control was constantly being ripped out of my hands to show me cutscenes of fights, which looked a lot more interesting than what I ended up being able to do in-game. The game wants to feel open-world by offering a token gesture amount of non-linearity, but makes the process of traversing the world and backtracking painfully boring with a system of fast travel, uh, with a terrible system of fast travel, and every road off the beaten track essentially being a dead end. By the end, the battles felt incredibly safe me as you're constantly fighting the same faceless dudes and the crafting system and upgrade paths felt bland it's a real shame to me that they took such a rich mythology and derived such an uninspired enemy designs from it it makes me feel uh like the only reason for the norse setting was to give kratos an annoyingly trimmed whole foods ass beard (laughs) Uh, brutal Um, (laughs) some of the characters and creatures you got to see as scenery in the game are breathtaking Mm -hmm. let me fight a fucking house turtle 
or a colossal snake, for God's sakes, instead of a stone golem for the billion, billionth time. Props to the developer for bringing the characters a bit up to date, but this game felt like a massive step backwards in terms of playability for the series, and only really left me with newfound distrust for game journalist hype. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't agree. Like, I don't think those old games with the big set piece, like monster things, are that cool. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't really, I don't really prefer those. I don't think mechanically. Mm-hmm. No. Like spectacle wise, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh but I don't think they're more fun to play. I think that they the way that they tend to do those is like set pieces and you know, arm this ballista three times, <laughs> you know, to shoot into this giant. Mm-hmm. Like that kind of thing, which I, I find I don't like very much. I find really gamey and artificial personally. Yep. Not to like fight my Pokemon or anything, like because I had a lot no, of no. God of War. Mm-hmm. But just in a in a general sense, like I, I don't prefer fighting the giant turtle or the giant snake. Mm-hmm. Uh, in video games yeah um and i can see what alexander's talking about because we talked about the problems with the enemy variety right even here even Mm -hmm. here in this you know like yeah it just they've got they've got good good stuff to pull from and we end up fighting just like really samey you know kind of dead looking people most of the time that's a real problem and that can that can definitely i think you know it feel like it is a concurrent problem with the lack of spectacle when it's actually not like, like those two things yeah. don't have to go together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also, uh, for me, I think the Spider-Man combat is really good. Yeah. Uh, for what that's worth. Like out of those, I haven't played Red Dead 2. I also think The Last of Us has some kind of like limp combat mm-hmm. as well. Um, there's an element of like trying to do a grounded story. I mean, it really depends on what you define as good combat for some of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because if, if like the kind of slow weighty combat that this game is doing is bad to you, um, they're not going to have like gigantic, um, like devil may cry combat with this Mm -hmm. story. Yeah. It would just be weird. Like, I think that there's like an alignment there and it's definitely cool to dislike Mm -hmm. one aspect of that or another. Uh, that makes tons of sense uh, to me, but I don't feel like it's, out of agreement with itself, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, if that, if that makes sense. Like, I think for what this was trying to do, it basically did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though like, I also, like I said, I had, had issues with it too. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we'll round us out here. Final response from Darren, uh, who wrote, wrote in, this was a comment on the Patreon, uh, saying hi there. To start, I'm right there with you uh, on the sensation of whiplash regarding Atreus's mood swings, and it continued to nag at me over the course of play. I'm not terribly well-versed on Norse mythology. Most of what I know came from that old Quake-era third-person brawler, Rune. Uh, So the Mm. hints of the boy's true nature eluded me until it was outright stated at the end. I love that reveal. I was grinning ear to ear. It did make me think back on those strange mood swings and consider uh, what might have been actually going on there. Recalling that uh, in the myth, uh, this is spoiler, um, recalling that in the myth, Loki was imprisoned in the earth, uh, and a venom <laughs> and a venom he was allowed to spill into his open heart uh, when his wife wasn't there to catch the poison with a bowl. He screams in agony. Uh, sorry, his screams of agony uh, would go on to be the cause of earthquakes. Thanks, Odin. Um, with that in mind, and factoring in all the lies and secrets, the manipulation by almost every party, it is possible that Atreus isn't just a kid coming to terms with his heritage, but also a secret vessel for an incredibly vengeful and wicked god bent on revenge. Um, I know that there's nothing expressly to go on besides just how bizarre Atreus's behavior was during the middle stretch, uh, but with all of the subtle suggestions of time shenanigans, uh, it also doesn't feel 
uh, like it is outside of the realm of possibility. Yeah. So, so, you know, the idea being that maybe his uh, kind of flip-flopping there in the middle was, you know, presaging him breaking bad. Yeah. Like actual Loki did. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I I have some time for the idea that Loki might end up being an antagonist. Yeah. Uh, You know, I can see them pulling that off. I really don't know what they'll do. And I think that like the, the games play really fast and loose with all the lore. Mm -hmm. Uh, They've already like broken the Ragnarok lore. Yeah. So they'll basically do what they want to do. You know? Yeah. I think they're, they're, they're going to do whatever. I mean, right now it seems like they're going to do whatever feels like it makes the most sense for Kratos's journey. Um, I don't know if like we, we've not reached the point where the, where the torch handoff has been made. So, yeah. 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 Um, so we'll see. Mm -hmm. We're all just kind of waiting. Yep. I'll be Um, curious. Yeah, definitely curious. Um, yeah. Uh, so thanks everybody for responding. If you have things to say about October's games, uh, hit us up by October 15th. Mm-hmm. Um, those games are Dino Crisis 2, uh, Soma, Resident Evil 5, or Doom 3. It's our mm-hmm. premium episode for the month. Yep. Um, uh, and if you have thoughts about November's game, uh, you can write them in by November the 15th. Uh, Gary, are we ready to announce November's games? Okay. We sure are. Uh, starting in November, we will be covering uh, No One Lives Forever. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, the, uh, you have to Google it, but uh, it's a it's a Patreon request. It's something we've wanted to do for a long time. It is an mm-hmm. interesting FPS. It is an FPS heavy uh, couple of weeks actually. Yes, uh, with Doom three right before that. Mm-hmm. Um, then we're going to be doing another uh, pick from uh, David, mm-hmm. who chose Lords of Magic. Yeah. Uh, so we're doing Uncharted Waters too. Yes, uh, I was I was worried that we would so the the way that we said it, people would hear Uncharted and think we were doing those. No, this is Uncharted Waters. This is a Super Nintendo. Uh, like pirate simulator uh, kind of game yes. looks super interesting. Like there are different uh, characters that you can play as who, who have like different um, goals in the world. There's like merchants. Uh, there are like different soldiers and stuff. Um, I'm curious about this. It seems really cool. Yeah, It's going to be interesting regardless. Yeah. And then finally, our premium episode for November is marathon two. Mm-hmm. Durandal. The, yes. Durandal baby. Uh the uh the Bungie series they did one of the series they did before Halo. Mm-hmm. Um a groundbreaking FPS series, uh, but for Mac kids. Yeah. Um yeah. so I'm curious about that. Uh it's been a while since we've done uh a two and a half D game like this. Uh mm-hmm. I have looked at the list of mission names and it is very much like a mid to late nineties uh <laughs> first person shooter. Uh, mission list with lots of goofy, goofy level names and stuff. Yeah, I'm curious. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, I'm very excited. Um, you know the the idea behind uh, that series is it's supposed to have like really excellent lore, mm-hmm. like all the terminals and flavor text and stuff is supposed to be very good yeah. in a way that kind of presages uh, Half Life in terms of like an emphasis on story. Yeah. Um, in a Doom clone, mm-hmm. um, and it's a big blind spot in my my gaming history. So it's something I've always wanted to address. Yeah. You know, so really excited. Uh, and then after that, we're doing our uh, Western RPG mm-hmm. for the year. Uh, one big game with its DLCs and stuff. And that'll be the entire month. Yes. So uh, the DLCs will be the premium mm-hmm. episode for that. Everyone will get the main. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that's about it. That's about all I got. 
Yeah, I've been recording for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, hit us up on patreon.com slash duckfeedtv if you would like to sponsor an episode or get extra episodes or support your boys. Mm -hmm. We appreciate it. That's also where we post questions yes. for dispatch episodes. Yep. Um, and you can also leave us a rating review on Apple Podcast. Yeah, and thank you to everybody who has done all of those things. Yeah, we appreciate you. Mm -hmm. uh, stay safe and don't breathe the bad air. Please don't. Umbasa. Umbasa.